Welcome back to another edition of Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. This is John Suntress. Today we touch on some of the big stories of the week. Everyone is still buzzing over the news that Sony and Marvel have reached terms to share Spider-Man cinematically. The real details will only start to come out once casting and production is announced, but I think we can all agree that it's likely a good thing. Moving on, there was also news from the digital comic book world. Squibbed, a netflix light service, announced that they are adding over 10,000 graphic novels that readers can borrow in unlimited numbers for an $8.99 monthly subscription fee. Can you think of a bunch of comics you'd like to read without having to commit to buying a trade or a back issue? Julie Haddon, the vice president of editorial and marketing of Squibbed, joins us to discuss it and its entry into the digital comics market. What does it mean for indie creators and consumers? We'll find out in part one of Word Balloon. In part two, we welcome the co-founder and former editor of Newsarama, Matt Brady. Matt has a new comic project he's doing with Jimmy Palmiotti for Boom. It's called The Big Con Job. It sounds like it's going to be a fun heist comic story. We talk about some other comics he's written in the recent past, but we also get into the history of Newsarama. From its 90s beginnings to partnerships with Another Universe and Kevin Smith's View Askew, to he and co-founder Mike Doran striking out on their own, to its ultimate sale and Matt leaving the company in 2009. The comic news blogosphere and the way geek media business is covered and presented by publishers and media companies has changed dramatically in the last five years. I can attest to that, and it's changed a lot since Matt stopped writing about it. We talk about some of his views on the changes and some of the current stories and moves that have been happening and look back at some key moments when he and Newsarama and the Newsarama community butted heads with the powers that be and how that impacted the site's access to publishers and coverage of the comic media business. All in all, it's a look ahead at how the digital market may change and how the comics journalist job has changed on today's episode of Word Balloon. Today's Word Balloon is brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much for your support. If you'd like to help Word Balloon by subscribing via Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Word Balloon. I've been saying it for the last few weeks, and I mean it. I've been saying it for years. Word Balloon is a free program. It will always be a free program. But if uh, you want to help out and, uh, you know, uh, throw a little bit of money on me, make it a little bit easier for me to get to conventions and uh, make the connections with uh, creators and uh, other people that you hear here and hear the uh, kind of conversation that you've come to expect and appreciate from Word Balloon and want to help out, uh, you can do it by subscribing. A dollar a month would be great. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. If you go to the front page of WordBalloon.com, there's a tab there that explains how you can contribute and uh, why uh, the need is there for you to contribute. Thank you very much for your support. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are great deals happening right now at InStockTrades.com. Uh, some neat stuff on some classic things, like uh, from Wally Wood, you can get Torrid Romance. Uh, this collection is presented in various formats and all at great savings at InStockTrades.com. You can get it uh, in a slipcase uh, cover edition. That's a hardback, 25% off, just $52.46. You can get the standard hardcover edition for 25% off and $29.96. Or you can get the trade paperback softcover, 25% off, $18.71. Great Silver Age Romance from Wally Wood, and it's available now at In Stock Trades. You can also get Warren Ellis's Trees. Trade paperback volume one is 50% off, $7.49. From Scotty Young, you can get Rocket Raccoon, the premium hardcover volume one is 50% off, just $12.49. 
Reach back for the origins of Secret Six with Gail Simone. Volume one, Villains United is 50% off. It's just $9.99. A classic from Darwin Cook, both in writing and art, The New Frontier. The deluxe edition hardcover is 50% off, $24.99. From Marvel Masterworks, you can get the Submariner hardcover volume six at 50% off, $37.50. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. For more details and more savings, Go to InStockTrades.com. Okay, it's uh, time to uh, have our interview with Julie Haddon. Julie works with Squibbed. I get the uh, name of Squibbed wrong at the beginning, but she corrects me quickly, and that's good. Julie's got a career in comics. Uh, She used to work for Valiant as a transition to Acclaim. She also used to work for eBay. And uh, you'll tell from the conversation, this is not a poser. She is a hardcore comic book fan and a collector as well of baseball cards and things. So she kind of understands that difference between uh, digital properties and, and, you know, things, you know, the tangible actual goods and the value of both uh, ways of consuming things. Digital comics is something that Squibbed is getting into now. Uh, they've got uh, interesting pu- publishing deals with uh, several of the major uh, comic book companies. You will hear the list and some of the product that they make available. And uh, it sounds neat. It's a kind of Netflix for comics through Squibbed. And uh, Julie Haddon is here to talk to us about it in part one of Word Balloon. Very happy to have on the line Julie Haddon. She is the uh, vice president of editorial and marketing at, at Scribbid. Now, am I saying it right, Scribbid? It's actually pronounced Scribd. All right, Scribd. All right, then. I'll say there we go. So Scribd. I'm sure I said it better in the intro of the show, and and I've now been corrected for the rest of the interview. Thanks for coming on Word Balloon, Julie. Welcome. Happy to be there. You've got an interesting background. Um, I I think, uh, you know, uh, we were just talking off the air about it, that uh, prior to joining uh, Scribd, you you worked at Valiant as well. I actually worked in Valiant when they were owned by Acclaim Comics in the, uh, the mid-90s and had a wonderful opportunity to work on properties like Turok and Exo Manowar, uh, Rye, Harbinger, and uh, we had something called the Birthquake, which was kind of pulling all these characters into uh, from the comic book Old Valiant into the new Acclaim era. And since then, uh, there's been other changes at Valiant, so everything is back full circle, and we're working with them again. Understood. Was that uh, the Jim Shooter era of Valiant and Acclaim? It was actually just after Jim Shooter, and it was the uh, area with, um, unfortunately, he's uh, passed away, but Steve Mazarski was the CEO, and um, it was a whole team out of New York City. Okay. And that was, like, unfortunately, like kind of near that uh, speculative bubble burst that comics faced and uh man you were you know that's like uh, showing up at studio 54 in like you know 1984 or 85 and it's like hey what happened to the party yeah. <laughs> what, what went wrong <laughs> you know it, it was it was it was a great time to be part of comics and i think what was also happening was this whole kind of first wave of if you will transmedia and adoption into other formats because of claim being one of the leading video game content providers that were making i mean PC, CD-ROM games, and Sega and Nintendo in the first iteration of PlayStation was uh, a very strategic acquisition for Acclaim was to be able to take over um, and, and bring in the wonderful property of the Valiant, or properties in the Valiant universe to start porting them into video games. And now we're in an interesting, as you say, transmedia moment where... Uh, this kind of uh, stuff is uh, being exploited on a bunch of different platforms, and Scribd is really, uh, in a lot of ways, the Netflix of of uh, print media. 
and 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 books and uh, also audiobooks and I want to talk about that as well but uh, it's nice to see it happened this week that uh, you guys have added over 10,000 uh, comic titles and uh, several key publishers to uh, what you offer to your subscribers on a monthly basis and it's unlimited access am I right it is it's an all you can read access model of 899 a month gives readers uh, up to a million books to read we within script we have three major verticals. Our first vertical that we launched in October 2013 was a comic, uh, excuse me, was a e vertical. Mm-hmm. And we went out with publishers uh, the 2013, our first publisher was HarperCollins. And then into 2014, we signed up Simon & Schuster. And then most recently in January 2015, we brought on board Macmillan titles. So we have what they call in book publishing the big five and now we have three of the big five of the largest global publishers. Um, in addition to the ebook side of the business, we also have properties from Wiley, which makes the Four Dummies series. We have Lonely Planet, which everybody knows who's a travel uh, tra- travel fanatic, such as myself, loves Lonely Planet travel guides. And we have uh, Perseus, and we have. Um, uh, a variety of different publishers um, in, on board in the ebook side. And then in comics, uh, if I may. Yeah. We also have, yeah, we also have audiobooks. Uh, in, we launched audiobooks in November of 2014, and with that came some wonderful titles uh, 30,000 audiobooks with publishers such as. Um, uh, Scholastic, which, as you probably know, um, being a pop culture guy, they make The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we launched with wonderful properties like um, The Hunger Games and um, hot anticipated new release titles like Roxanne Gay or Armistead Moulton. We had um, some James Bond titles with some wonderful narrators like Rosamund Pike, who is up for Best uh, Actress in on February 22nd for Gone Girl, who reads The Spy Who Loved Me, a Bond. For the, for the folks that like uh, Homeland, our beloved Sergeant Brody, a.k.a. Damian Lewis, is also one of the narrators we have on our, our audiobooks line. And then we've got a lot of other uh, exceptional classics, everything from James Earl Jones reading Who's in Rabbit House and Meryl Streep reading Chrysanthemum, Sarah Jessica Parker, and so on. So just a, a whole slew of great classics and celebrity narrators and even, you'll like this, but Golden Age radio dramas. I do like Golden Age radio dramas. That's excellent. Um, and I and also, you know, that's that's been the, the difference in audiobooks and, and print books that um, – the the ebook market has you know been able to keep costs down, but audiobooks because of the fact that there are actors involved and engineers, and and there really is a lot more production uh, as as a separate you know entity. Um, that you know there there are just costs that really would be unfair to you know kind of drop down unless there was the kind of arrangement that you guys were able to to make with uh, the people that produce audiobooks. So that's that's great for the consumer and and really uh, comic book fans. I think are really sensitive to creators getting their fair share of, uh, you know, getting uh, compensated. And I think that uh, you guys have found a good business model that takes care of everybody. Yeah, we're very publisher friendly. And, uh, you know, we started out in 2007 as a document storage repository, if you will. So anybody who had content that they created, whether it was something as simple as 
a college uh, dissertation for your PhD, uh, notes for a class, uh, fiction, uh, you know, fan fiction, or even things like music somebody wrote, recipes. We became this kind of global repository for content and for writers and storytelling. So when we launched in 2013, seven years later, our premium subscription book service, it was a natural extension Mm -hmm. to be able to deliver great storytelling to a true global audience. We've got 100 million uh, script users around the world. We're in 80, 80 languages. We're in pretty much every country. So being able to deliver upon a promise to reading enthusiasts but also help monetize for publishers or people who are owners of content is really what we want to be with this marketplace for readers and writers and authors and publishers. That's fantastic. And also, I'm glad you mentioned that it is a worldwide service because I know um, that in the cases of iTunes and Netflix and some of these other services, uh, various countries, it, it depends and stuff. But, you know, Script, you can you can take advantage of this. And I want to mention the, the publishers, the comic publishers you're working with right now, uh, Archie, Dynamite, IDW, Marvel. Top Cow, Top Shelf, Valiant, and Zenoscope, and that's a good representation. It's not everybody. Are there are there deals in progress with some of the other publishers that aren't on that list? Yeah. I'd also add to that list because I'm a, a big Green Hornet fan, but we've got Dynamite, and then we also have Boom, which brings in, uh, you know, obviously the Lumberjanes and uh, going back a, a few years, the Peanuts comic book. Sure. Who doesn't love Peanuts? Uh, but, yeah, we've got Dynamite and Boom. We've got, um, um, I think you mentioned Space Goat, but we also have Kingstone. Um, and so a variety of publishers, we're in conversations with all of them, and our hope is to continue to deliver great content but also expand our service with our existing publishers and bring in new ones. No, that's terrific, and I think um, it it satisfies much like, you know, a Netflix or, or, or iTunes or whatever. The um, I know just moving uh, from apartment to apartment sometimes, those long boxes get to be a bit of a chore. And it's nice to be able to, I think, have a service like this that you can, you know, sample a bunch of things that maybe you weren't going to necessarily buy, but we're still curious to read. I mean, Lumberjanes is a perfect example, very hot boom book, uh, really hitting a lot of people. And I'm really glad because it is uh, something different than superheroes. I mean, I'm a superhero fan. A lot of us are. But I, I think that a lot of your the publishers you're working with tap into genres beyond superheroes as well. It's great to have Marvel. It's great to have superheroes. But it's nice to see that a lot of these other genres that I think like-minded readers of regular prose that enjoy westerns would enjoy reading, you know, Dynamite's Zorro and Lone Ranger comics, things like that. Exactly. I mean, the great thing is, is that the way our product is set up is that as a reader, you can go through, and if you like a, a, a genre, you mentioned superheroes, if you're into superheroes, you can go through and dive deeper into these subcategories like superheroes. But if you really are a fan of fiction and you want to go deep dive into graphic novels, you can do that or comic noir. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to just go into maybe you're in love with a character and somebody's a big fan of Betty and Veronica, then you can just <laughs> go through and find uh, everything from Betty and Veronica to My Little Pony uh, or G.I. Joe just via the love of that property itself. So you're able to search via genre. You're able to search via publisher. And then my team of comic wizards actually expert curates all these wonderful collections from things like award winners or hit YA titles. Uh, we have something, um, one of the 
one of the new ones we just added as a collection is uh, top female creators, for example, top women creators. Uh-huh. That was an idea we got inspired by after the Super Bowl with the Like a Girl meme that went around with the hashtag. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many great creators that, um, you know, from different eras and different genres and different um, properties that we wanted to celebrate and make it easy for the reader to truly discover the best content that we've got. And we've got some terrific content on Squibbed. So are you curating? You know, that's this is a question that I always ask uh, the comic creators that are trying to independently uh, when when they're working in like the steampunk genre and it's a steampunk comic that they get independent bookstores to rack their steampunk comic with the steampunk novels. Um, are you you know, do you do that? If I were to look up Western, would I find Zane Gray next to Dynamite's, you know, Zorro and Lone, Lone Ranger? Do you guys, you know, rack comic graphic novels alongside traditional ebooks? Uh, we don't have them doing that. Uh, this is Jane and Hyde. Um, we currently have a steampunk section on the uh, in the comic section, uh, but I think I'm interested in like doing a little more crossover with the prose books and the comic books because I know that one of the things that people seem really excited about with the comics announcement is that they get the whole book library as well as the comics library. Absolutely. So I really want to encourage people to try out those. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll add to that one thing that, um, you know, we get we get a chance to, when, when we curate our properties, we're, we have things based on your behavior. We actually have an algorithm. So in addition to, um, you know, if you if you search a lot and you are in Lumberjanes, for example, it'll the, our algorithm will get smarter and it'll surface you better content. And um, at the same time, we have the editorials. There's nothing that you can replicate like human curation and our experience that we want to create with our site and what my team's focused on is that same experience that when you walk in a bookstore and you have that little three by five card with handwritten notes um, and you'll see as you go through script, I mean, we have a uh, Shannon on the team that just spoke. She curated a book, uh, the March book one, which is the whole account of the civil rights movement uh, by Nate Powell. Mm-hmm. So we have the equivalent on our site as we replicate the comic experience, much like you would have when you're inside one of your most beloved bookstores. That's cool. I I also wonder, too, um, are you are there communities building uh, there? I mean, you know, that's I always wonder about beyond the basic service. What uh, you know, what other things could you do with e-books and and, and e-graphic novels, digital graphic novels that you know, a regular bookstore may not be able to do. And I wonder what kind of services or just even, you know, just basic communities and setting things up that you've you've provided over there that people might want to be aware of. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, when you have um, e-books, for example, I think book readers, it's obviously uh, book clubs self uh, came together and self-formed and people get together locally around their favorite book. Reading is such a, a, a wonderful personal experience that it makes so much sense than how you take that personal one-on-one experience you have when you're sitting there with your book or your laptop or your device or your um, phone, tablet, whatever uh, you might be listening or reading on, and be able to share that personal experience with other people. Uh, unlike other forms of media where you'll go to a movie theater and you're seeing uh, an opening weekend film with 350 others, uh, or music where you're with 1,200 people or 12,000 people, uh, reading is such a personal experience. And so we really are looking into ways to port that one-to-one experience to one-to-many, uh, especially when it comes to comics, because it's such a feverish, voracious community. 
I don't see massive uh, conferences around the world for just simply an audiobook, but you do see it with something like a genre or a, a whole vertical like comics. Mm-hmm. And so we're definitely paying attention to that. Very cool. Yeah, will you be at uh, uh, you know conventions? Are you gonna Are you gonna show up at any of the big shows? Heck yeah, we'll be at San, we'll be at San Diego. We're gonna be in South by Southwest because we're cool. Uh, you know, we've got a, a couple uh, a couple panels we'll be doing around um, you know this kind of access or uh, I guess the subscription economy. Uh, we go to book fairs, and we are certainly in our launch of comics going to be present and even more present in um in in comic conventions i missed the library show uh just last weekend as we're recording um c2e2 is uh it was in chicago the library uh, association uh convention uh but c2e2 is the big chicago show that's coming up in april i don't know if you guys are going to be there we're, we're not but the american library association conference is in our backyard this year in june in uh in Terrific. san francisco so obviously, you know, we we are we are all things reading and focused on delivering the best reading experience and 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 playing uh, playing in this space by being as smart as we can be and as consumer reader friendly and publisher friendly as we can be. So we want to be able to touch as many of our kind of our, our comic fans, our reading fans, but also our publishers. You know, a lot of uh, creators in comics are uh, self-publishing now as well. Some are doing it through imprints like Image and reaching agreements with companies like Boom and Dark Horse and the like. But a lot are striking out on their own. Is there a uh, a system at Scribd that uh, an independent comic book uh, creator could submit and and have their their product you know checked out and see if it would be something that might fit in with you guys and something you might want to carry? Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, we have with sixty two million plus or minus documents on our site right now. We have a lot of self published uh, writers, authors, artists. Uh, as I mentioned, what the original script model was mm-hmm. when we started in two thousand and seven. But certainly, something uh, when when you have the access to the global audience of enthusiasts and readers and comic fans that we have, we uh, absolutely look at every way that we can help working with work with publishers and creatives. And independent uh, independent artists and, and storytellers to deliver something. Uh, right now, we're focused. I mean, just launched this new common subscription service yesterday. But I think uh, the sky's the limit with what we could possibly do. And I have a Kindle Fire myself, uh, as far as my tablet. Um, I know that you're Android friendly. I know you're uh, Apple friendly. Um, you know, I, I, I was looking for an app. On, on the Kindle Fire, I didn't see one. How would I be able to? Here's, here's a personal question. How would I get the service on my uh, Kindle Fire? Right now, you, uh, we, are, we are available on the Kindle Fire, and, um, and we are available on Android. We're available on iOS and, uh, and web devices. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, would I would I just go through? I mean, again, as as I mean, I I didn't see an app, so would I just be going through my regular web browser then to access uh, the service and everything? You have to go to Script, um, and okay. you'll you'll find it on our site. There's directions on how to download it okay. directly from Script. Okay, very good. That's cool. And then on the academic side, because you know when you said how how your uh, service started and everything, I think there's a lot of good. Uh, written for academic circles, uh, comic critique and criticism, and I think that's an area of comics that continues to expand. And um, I, I wasn't sure. I, I didn't have a chance to really kind of uh, explore 
on, on your service, what kind of uh, books might be available there. Is that an area of, of the comics culture that uh, people could find um, abstracts and, and, and essays that have been written for the academic world that examine, you know, comics? Uh, do you guys have uh, those kinds of, uh, you know, titles and, and uh, subjects available? Yeah, absolutely. One of the great things about Scribd is that uh, when you go through the search experience, you could type in something you're looking for, and you could find it based on is it in a book form, is it in an audio book form, is it in, an, uh, in, in a comic form. So if you want to uh, look currently on My Little Pony, for example, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> you, you'll, you'll find that in um, – because I, I know you're a big fan there. I'm a big brony, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Go on. I, I learned all about bronies. <laughs> Are you a brony? I love My Little Pony, and I also I love it, and uh, my my daughter does too. It's sure. fun property, but you know whether whether it's a, a I think one of the things that's exciting is by having such a vast and comprehensive library of professional content by publishers uh, in ebooks and by audiobooks and by comics, uh, and then this whole long tail effect of user generated works. You actually can find enthusiast clusters, like you suggested earlier, about community. That if you type something in and find a search, you'll get the book. You might get the uh, the fan fiction version of it. You might get the comic property of it, and you might actually get it originated from a book. Like some of these, um, when we talk about transmedia, that started out as a book and became a comic, or vice versa. Very cool. And um, you obviously, being over there, and I'm sure all of you are very optimistic of. You know where reading is. We 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 worry about the fate of the independent bookseller, and it's nice to see that services like this do exist. I think because, um, you know, uh, I, I, reading's never going to go away, but it's just a matter of like it, being able to find what you're looking for. Um, you know, and it, it's nice to have services like this. It, I mean, I, I'm assuming that the growth of the company is reflective in the fact that you guys keep, you know, getting more subscribers and, and more people as awareness of script gets out there, more people are jumping in and, and using the service. Yeah, I mean, let me be clear. There is always uh, an, a, a hope um, for independent booksellers to thrive and for uh, that channel to be a very very special place that's near and dear to people's hearts as it is to mine. I mean, it depends on how somebody wants a book. I mean, there's classics that I have that I absolutely positively have to own. Mm-hmm. I'm going to run to the store. I want to see, touch, and feel it. I do, I do not go to an airport without spending at least an hour to barely missing my flight uh, without walking in and seeing what the latest books are and browsing that browse experience that happens in the real uh, offline world. And that is something that is never going to be replaced. And when we see this as a supplemental business to be able to provide comic lovers or curious comic people that are maybe not um, necessarily as interested in comics but, but want to be. And we see this as a way that we give publishers new ways of reaching new audiences. And there's some things you're going to want to own. Uh, there's videos, DVDs, and, and, and videos that I will always own because I will watch them and take them with me everywhere. There's books that I have on my nightstand next to me, classics that I have from my childhood and certain paper books. And then there's the ones that I just want to zip through and quote-unquote binge read. And, uh, you know, just it really depends on each person's interest and, 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 and immediacy, urgency, and taste, how they want to access it. Yeah, no question. And again, I think that's I think the way you guys are approaching comics really does speak to a group of the audience that 
will go to their local stores or online, see a collection and be like, man, I do want to read that. But, uh, you know, comics are like our soap operas. And sometimes we're so invested in our monthly stories that it's tough to, like, divide the money to, to be able to spend on, on on certain books. But that's the thing. At the flat subscription rate that you guys offer at nine bucks, only the price of a couple comics, you get unlimited reading. And it gives you the opportunity to sample a lot of these other books that you might otherwise just always leave on the shelf and say, yeah, someday I'll get to it and, and never have the chance. And now, you know, you don't have to make that business choice anymore or that consumer choice anymore. You can you can, you know, read the books and have the books that you want on your shelves, but also explore some of these other publishers and stories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that you touched on that well. I mean, the whole ability to sample or to kind of have this worry-free reading, quote-unquote, sure. if you will, because you get a chance to go in, you know, I mean, how many times have you spent 25 bucks on a big hardcover book and you get through it, and I, I had that happen recently, that it's something I felt so guilty because I've paid this much and I just couldn't get through it. Yeah. And I think it was actually probably $35. And, sure. you know, when you have books <laughs> like that or properties that you're, they're just not speaking to you, it doesn't matter because you just go through and we have 9,999 other ones in comics <laughs> that you can access. So I think that that's an important part is being able to have this worry-free reading and the ability to sample and fall in love with something and then can fall in love again and again because you could just go through the entire series and truly binge read. You could go and read uh, Exo Manowar number one at the end of it, just like an episode of watching Breaking Bad. I mean, you can literally go through episode, episode, episode and see an entire series in one weekend. You know, you can have that happen with an entire series in one night. So I think that's one thing that we're excited about with comics when it comes to the ability to sample. Uh, one thing that, that we didn't touch on, though, that I also think is very powerful for comic enthusiasts is that, you know, because we go back to all these years and because there's so many fans of all different age, there's people today that are falling in love with Spider-Man for the first time. My son is seven years old and he was watching Spider-Man this morning, and I was so excited to tell him about what Spider-Man in the 70s was like. And you can go back to the golden age or the silver age of comics and you can really experience the heritage or the, the history of where these stories came from. Uh, another example I'd say is, you know, you're in the movie theater and you'll see Guardians of the Galaxy, um, you know, which came out recently and you'll fall in love with the, the story, but you want to go back and find out, you know, what happened in the original, the original story and how did this come to be. And you can find on script Rocket Raccoon and Groot or Star-Lord. Same thing with Captain America. There's the Jack Kirby one from the Wayback characters. Uh, you go back to 1941, I think is the year it came out, and around the war, and then you could read the most recent ones like Ed Brubaker. Same thing with The Winter Soldier, the movie. You can go back and read the comics that inspired it. There you go. So I think that, that in addition to the ability to have this worry-free reading, comics, because there's just been so many eras through the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and modern comics that have been various iterations from a Spider-Man that came out in 2002 on the big screen to going back and reading what has, is happening on your current TV or, or um, you know, modern comic. You can find out all about the inspiration behind the creators, and we have character pages, too, that help you walk through that um, inside the script platform. That's excellent. No, and it's and I'm glad you do touch on the fact that your your library includes a, a back catalog that does go back to the golden age, and I think that's 
equally important uh, for new readers, but also, you know, something that, uh, yeah, even, you know, regular readers might want that ability to kind of compare and contrast uh, how things started and the, the way they look today. So that's terrific. And mm-hmm. again, yeah, that's why I was asking, too, about some of the academic looks, because, you know, they, the, that's the wonderful thing, I think, that that the written word continues to explore, doesn't just present the stories, but, you know, this real, um, just like in film or in music, there is uh, analysis and criticism going on about comics, and it's uh, sometimes it's tough to find uh, at, a, at a bookstore uh, a really good you know volume like that. And it's nice when services do exist that you know carry those those books and allow someone to really immerse themselves in the comics culture and go beyond what's on the newsstand today and really learn about it and and get as excited about it as a movie buff or music buff would. So that's great. Yeah, I actually have done that. But what happens is you have to go to all these various places. So when you fall in love with a TV series like I have with Breaking Bad, and I want to go read some critical uh, essays on it, or I want to read, uh, you know, the first script Brian Cranston read when he was reading for Walt, or, or finding out, you know, um, you know, this whole thing about what is happening with the crystal meth movement in in rural United States, sure. and learning more about. What's happening, you know, that's one of the wonderful things I, I think we do provide is just the depth and the breadth of reading is, is unparalleled, that there's nothing else out there. Absolutely. Dif- uh, are you aware of Difficult Men, the uh, the book about all the uh, showrunners, the producers that have created all these really good uh, TV dramas? It's It comes up in conversation with the comic book and TV and film writers that I talk to all the time, and it came out last year. And it's a if you know when you mentioned Breaking Bad, it it's, it takes a really good look at um, all the all the guy you know Vince Gilliam, Matthew Weiner from Mad, Mad Men, certainly David Chase and uh, David Stein and you know David Milch, all the Davids, you know uh, the the really good television and you know uh, it, it really goes into their inspirations and what it was like putting these shows together and it's a great book. Uh, I'm going to buy it as soon as we hang up. <laughs> That's great. Well, question Ju- is, do I buy it digitally or do I own it? This is one of those ones that I might just have to own. I- it sounds fascinating. <laughs> it's on my Kindle, so I understand. No, that's terrific. Um, no, I I, uh, I I like the service, Julie. I think it's I think it's terrific, and I'm and I'm really glad to talk about it today and um, make my listeners more aware of it. And they can go to uh, to uh, scribd dot com, which is S C R I B D dot com. Uh, you don't want to make sure I spell it right. Yeah, let me give you specifics because um, also you asked about Kindle Fire. You go to Scribd, S-C-R-I-B as in boy, D as in David, Scribd.com slash comics. And that will have the whole sign-up flow and people will get a, a chance to have a one-month free trial. Um, so they can sign up and, and, uh, and experience it before having to pay. Um, and if they don't like it after a month, there's no problems. They don't have to continue. We hope they do. Uh, but certainly it is a free trial for one month, much like you see on something like Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that you can do is you can go to Scribd.com slash Kindle Fire to answer your question about where you can get the Kindle app. Scribd, awesome. backslash Kindle Fire. And that is for the Kindle fans to be able to access our app. Outstanding. Oh, that's great. Um, and I will, I guarantee I will be doing that. And yeah, and then the service, uh, you know, if you, if you decide to keep the service, it's $8.99 a month? It is. It is. That's awesome. No, I think that's terrific. And again, I think it's, uh, 
it's it's a fair price that I think people can afford given the the breadth of uh, of um, you know over a million books that you can uh, go through and then right now ten thousand comics soon to be more as you guys continue to make deals with I think uh, the publishers and creators that are uh, cranking out stuff and I, I I think it's a great start and uh, it's it's pretty obvious that. Uh, you know, you you know your comics, and uh, and I'm glad to hear. And you coming from the comics background and stuff. You mentioned earlier that you were at eBay for for a quick second, and this uh, we we talked about it off the air. This kind of convergence of uh, e-commerce and uh, and and consumers and uh, you know digital digital uh, media and stuff. Um, you know, did did working at eBay because you know that has always been uh, certainly for people looking for back issues. You know, that's kind of the flea market that never ends, and it's been a great uh, savior for a lot of comic book fans that have had trouble finding specific issues at various stores or conventions, and they could always seem to find it on eBay and stuff. Did, you know, did 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 that experience, you know, uh, influence any of your, your own comics experiences? Funny, I actually uh, sent, my, sent a letter to Meg Whitman about wanting to work at eBay when I was at DreamWorks in 2003 uh, because I am such a diehard uh, buyer and seller of, of collectibles. So okay. comics being one of them, Tintin is one of my favorite uh, Awesome. Books, and also uh, a lot of baseball and uh, baseball cards because I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. So Got a girl. I have a lot of wonderful collections of, of baseball cards. I read a book called The Perfect Store by Adam Cohn, which was a fantastic uh, uh, kind of case study about how a global marketplace was founded by Pierre Omidyar. And so I fell in love with eBay and uh, sent them a resume and started working there in 2003. I was there until 2006 uh, as head of marketing programs and uh, also worked on the PayPal mobile product. So, uh, you know, I think, I think it's, a, it's a great thing when you could be a consumer of your product and also a, uh, you know, it's a job. And it's just as eBay and the way I feel about Scribd, it's not work, it's fun. But but yes, I, I I think you are always better when you uh, when you know I, I got a chance to have my work be my play and get some amazing comics while I was at eBay, uh, and I went back there actually in 2009 to build out the social media function and run that. So I had a couple tour of duties at eBay, and I I love that platform, and especially when you are trying to find that that need to have or you have something very special. Uh, I have all the original straight bullets. Uh, comics, for example, by David Lapham, and uh, I just sold a few of those recently, and I, I know that somebody else out there is enjoying it. That's great! Wow, man! Now you see, you're throwing down with Tintin and Stray Bullets. Uh, that's that's uh, hardcore. Excellent, man! All right, we're not dealing with yeah. a poser, folks. This is good. I like this. Well, you know what? I want to ask yeah. you if, real quick. I'm curious because, and I and really, as as the digital comics market continues to evolve, I think back to earlier interviews. I've been doing this for ten years, and when digital comics first happened, they were on your smartphone, and I was and as a baseball card. Uh, person, you can appreciate this. I was trying to wrap my head around how this was going to work when you were looking at a screen that was about the size of a baseball card and and granted from panel to panel that worked, but I wondered how it was going to change the storytelling of comics because they didn't initially have the full page platform that that paper allowed. Then, of course, we had the iPad and, and the tablets erupt. And certainly, you know, it's become a, a more pleasant experience for digital comic fans. How much, uh, how much digital comic reading do you do, and what do you think of the evolution of digital comics on this platform? 
I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I've been a subscriber to a lot of different digital comic uh, things. Uh, I'm not I'm not a digital baseball card person. I don't think I ever will. <laughs> I understand. Uh, there's, there's never going to be something that can replace opening up the wax packs and uh, sorting them through and seeing how many 1974 Mike Schmitz I can find. <laughs> there's nothing like that. And I did that, believe it or not, with my mom. So there's also that wonderful kind of... Um, that, you know, going back to that, that childhood memory I have sure. of, of how much fun it is to kind of that anticipation of seeing what's in the pack. I mean, I think with comics, you know, it's, it's something that we're more germane as a, as a, as a um, more germane as to our society now that is moving into digital. You know, we didn't think we'd be using calculators on everybody on phone years back. And right. now I don't know. I've seen a calculator. In, in, <laughs> except my finance guy. My finance guy still carries these around. Wow. But other than that, you know, uh, you know, I, I think that the, as a society we're moving to digital. But there's also, like I said earlier, there's going to be something that never replaces the, uh, the the human or the actual physical version of it, and I hope never does. Understood. No, I think it's interesting, and and yeah, I appreciate that point of view. And uh, as as this market evolves, I hope uh, I hope you'll come back, and then people from Scribd will come back. And uh, talk a little bit more uh, because uh, I'm I, I'm glad to see that there is now a, a lending library kind of digital model alongside the digital stores that exist, and I think it just is going to make uh, the consumption of these comics a lot more easier, and and ultimately will result in uh, more readership and. Uh, and and certainly uh, the opportunities for for the creators and the publishers to get their stuff out there and and you know get a wider audience. So I, I'm for it, and I'm glad that uh, Scribd is a part of that now. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been fun talking to you. So there you go. Check out Squib's website. Uh, you can take a look at some of the titles that they offer and uh, find other things as well in the audiobooks and uh, regular ebook sections and some of the other things that we discussed as well. And uh, go explore Squib for yourself. Now we move on to our conversation with Matt Brady. Uh, glad that we're doing this uh, this year because it's War Balloon's 10th anniversary coming up in May. And uh, Newsarama and my uh, association with Newsarama was, uh, was a big part of War Balloon's growth period. And I always felt extremely flattered that uh, Mike Doran, Matt Brady, and frankly, Jonah Weiland himself uh, at uh, Comic Book Resources were all kind of interested in what I was doing with the podcast and all wanted me to be a part of their websites. So it was a really, really tough decision. I kind of talk about that with Matt in this conversation. But it's good to get Matt's origin story. Uh, we hear about, um, you know, the creation of Newsarama, its evolution, and being one of the major comic blog news websites, its friendly competition with uh, other people like Heidi McDonald and Rich Johnson and Jonah Weiland. And you can tell that uh, Matt means it when he says that uh, he's on friendly terms with these people, and I believe it. I've seen it actually happen uh, on the con floor itself. And uh, it was fun running around with Matt. I mean, I really felt, as I say in the conversation, me, Matt, Vinita Rogers, when we were all in Newsarama, we, uh, we had a lot of fun. And it was a really good time. And I miss Matt uh, talking to him on a weekly basis and letting him know what I'm doing, getting his input on some ideas that I had. And uh, I always knew he was a good sounding board. And it was fun again to... Uh, kind of talk old times and get Matt's perspective too in his five years since uh, leaving 
uh, the comic journalism biz on what he thinks of some of the new evolutions of uh, the comic market today. We also importantly talk about uh, Matt's new comic book that he co-wrote with Jimmy Palmiotti for Boom. It's called The Big Con Job. Uh, Matt certainly has enough experience covering comics and covering cons that uh, I think it's a great idea for a heist comic. Think Galaxy Quest meets Ocean's Eleven. That's kind of the elevator pitch. And uh, based on what I've read so far in press releases and the like, it looks like it's a neat story. And uh, I think he's got the right creative team around him to make for a very interesting comic. And I commend Boom on seeing the value of this story as well. But uh, it's a good chance to catch up with Matt Brady and see how things are when we present it now on Word Balloon. Is using Skype pretty much standard for podcast guys like you? Is that like That's a fair question. And actually, I'm going to use this on the record. I honestly don't know. Um, well, because some do. Uh-huh. And some use uh, things like, I don't know if it's even around anymore, Talk Shoe. You know, there are free services like that where it does sound like both ends are like a phone conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and then, you know, Corolla and, and other guys obviously have like full-blown studios right, and stuff right. like that. And I, and I like doing it for my radio studio. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Matt Brady has posted uh, an essay question. It figures, you know, this is a guy who's used to asking questions more than answering them for, for years in the comics world. But uh, welcome to Word Balloon, finally. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, what, uh, six years since Word Balloon was on my radar as something I had to worry about, and now all of a sudden it's back. Oh, my God. It's true. I know. I was I was like – I was doing the math, and I'm like, yeah, 2009. That's when Matt walked away. Yep. So, so sad. But I'm, I'm glad you're back and uh, writing. We're going to talk about uh, the Boom book. But uh, very quickly, I wanted to mention, too, Dynamite and Warlord of Mars. Yep. Yep, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Excellent. When I when I did that one, that was wow. Uh, can't even think when it was. It was probably like a year ago, November, when uh, Nick Barucci got in touch with me. He's like, "Hey, you wanna you wanna do this? Because we're gonna be putting the series on hiatus for a little bit before we do a relaunch. And you know, if you'd be interested, we'd you know we we could work something out." And so I think I said, "Let me think about it." And about 20 minutes later, I sent back, I mean, I already knew 20 minutes later, I sent back, yes, 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 I will. <laughs> and so uh, we ran from there, but it was, it was a good, it was a good time. It was, uh, I think I'd said it before that a couple, a couple times when people was talking to people, um, well, way back when I was, one of the first times I was talking to Mark Wade, uh, back when he was writing Captain America. And okay. I kind of gave him the, the answer there. I gave him the question that all writers hate of where do you get your ideas. What, what's, you know, how do you come up with something for, for a character that's so old and has had so many stories written about him? And arguably, you know, John Carter's older than Cap and probably hasn't had as many stories. But uh, I'll always remember Mark's answer. It was, I find what the most important thing to that character is, and I take it away from him and see what they do. And of course, you know, if you think back to his and Garney's cap, um, that's what he did. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I did with Warlord of Mars. I took Mars away from him and put him back on Earth and put him in an insane asylum and tried to make him think that he was just imagining the whole thing and and saw what he did from there. And to my surprise, and I think to uh, to Nick Ferrucci and, and, and Joe Ryman's surprise over at uh, Dynamite, uh, he did what he was supposed to do and fought everything to get Mars back. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Have they collected that? Uh, no, no, it's still out there as a single issue. I'm not sure it might be in, I'd love it if it would go into, uh, the first collection of Ron Mars's run here that he's doing on the new series. Um, mm-hmm. but I haven't, I know it's on comiXology of course, 
There you go. Uh, you might be able to find some some issues in your back issue bins or something like that. <laughs> no, that sounds like a great story, man. Shame on me. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, we started we started um the the artist was Jack Jadson, who'd done some DC stuff. Uh gosh, okay. back when I was with Newsarama. And uh, I was back with the Teen Titans and things like that. And I knew from the very start my first uh first panel, big splash panel, was going to be John Carter sitting on a throne with that kind of King Conan Frazetta pose and just this weary leader, except his quote unquote throne was going to be this chair in insane asylum in the 1800s. There were going to be lunatics all around him and there was going to be kind of like a little biblical analogy. There was a handwritten sign above his head that said, this is John Carter, King of Mars. And, uh, and I sent that to Jack and Jack is one of those great artists from Brazil and he and I are great Facebook friends, but we don't understand each other because he speaks Portuguese and I speak English, but we got it translated and he nailed it. So first page, we were sailing from there. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun issue. I like to, I like to think that I gave people what they were looking for and a little taste of John Carter and what, what makes John Carter special. I think uh, we're going to cause a dynamite ripple over <laughs> at uh, Comics. Honestly, man, it sounds great and uh, very, very cool. And I, and I think uh, that kind of interesting twist on John Carter. I mean, I'm a big fan of the Marvel run. I bought that uh, Dark Horse collection. Yeah. So uh, and then that's the thing. And I do you know, every now and then I do kind of pick through and see what dynamite you know has done and what's interesting with you know that or Dejah Thoris and all of that. I don't even know if I'm ever even saying it right. I, Is it Dejah Thoris? I go with Dejah Thoris. I think I, I lean right, to yeah. whatever they said. You know, <laughs> it's one of those words that you always say in your head that you never say out loud, and someone says it out loud, and you kind of go, mm, yeah, that that's the one. What's well, it? It's consistent with you and me when it comes to Newsarama because uh, you you prefer New. I, I know oh, it's Newsarama. Newsarama. It'd be like. And it's association with Newsarama, yep. and he's like, "Oh, dude, dude, I hate when he does that." Rama, Ugh, yeah, <laughs> nails on a chalkboard. I'm sorry, it's my Chicago coming out, but uh, no, that sounds great. I, I, uh, I, like I said, I really do think people are going to uh, seek this out that haven't uh, grabbed it. So I certainly hope that happens. Cool, great. That but, that would be great. And hey, if you find a dynamite page, send him a note and say, you know, that Matt Brady story was really great. We'd love to see more. Because there you go. More. Hey man, the seriously, when I heard the pitch anyway, and I was I was thrilled to read that you and Jimmy were doing this. I don't remember you talking about this before, so and we'll get to the origin of it. But um honestly, the premise does sound like a blast and you know, will be a fun, you know, comedy story that's yeah. set in familiar settings yeah. and but also has the trappings of probably an interesting action story too. Yep, yeah, it's it does. It 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 really does. It's one of those things. I mean, well, see, you know, you sitting there, me sitting on this side as a change, I, you know, all those years that I sat where you are talking to the person and they would give these answers and I would listen and, you know, transcribe and think, you're just, you're just saying that. You're just saying that. And, but now on this side, it's just like, no, I can say, I can say for sure, working with Jimmy he has brought so much to this that just has brought so much life to this story. That's just amazing that I didn't, you know, I didn't see, I didn't know, I didn't realize. And it's just, it's come alive and it's the guidance of the editors. And it's all the, all those things that you and I, you know, this is just a canned answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's, it is the real answer. It's, it's really amazing to watch this thing. I'm not saying that it's always the most fun thing ever. I sometimes, cause 
you know, I got, I got a day job. And sometimes that means I come home in the evening and my publisher who is on the West coast has filled up my mailbox with, I need this. We need this. One's this. What about this? How about this? Can you take a look at this? These pages are ready. Can you verify these are the best? These are the ones that you want to go with for the layout so we can get the uh, Domo working. Oh, sometimes, sometimes the work is, is pretty good, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it is everything that I've always heard of working with somebody else on the good side. So it's Jimmy, it's you, it's uh, Dominique Stanton. Who's editing the book? Um, Mary, let's see. I know, I know Mary and Daphna, Mary Gumport, I believe, and Daphna Plevin. Okay. That's their names. Um, the last names. I know their first names, of course. Um, but yeah, there, there are editors. Um, and so we work with them, but they are giving us so much room to work with. Uh, okay. It's really, really nice. That, And then, of course, we got um, Philip Sablick and um, Ross Ritchie over that. Indeed. And anytime... You know, anytime there's rumble, not rumbles, and I don't even want to suggest that we've had problems, but it's just nice to know that both Jimmy and I have great personal relationships with these guys that we can just, you know, they'll, it's like we're all working in a room and they'll stick their head in now and then to see how things are going. Doesn't surprise yep. me. No, you know, and I mean, uh, we, we both have our track records with, with Ross and Philip uh, on, on the, uh, you know, reporting side. Yep. So I hate, honestly, Matt, I hate comics journalism. I, I always just feel like, Bleh. You know, like I don't even want to say the words. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's just a little. And we'll get to that part later. But anyway, I want like, how did this story happen? Let's talk about the uh, the uh, the big con job first. Oh, this, so, how, uh, yeah, yeah. How did this all come together? This, it's one of those things that it took a long, long time to cook up. Not the the story came together pretty much instantly. It was back when I was the 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 road warrior. On, you know, for Newsarama going from con to con to con to con to con to con. And you, you know, summers are just, well, you start, well, the whole year, the, what the year used to be, you know, you'd start out at Megacon, try to get one of the other two, one or two of the other small ones, then try to get to Heroes, or I could get to Heroes because I'm in North Carolina. They're in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, you know, and then it was just pretty much, you know, see you in September to my wife. And, yeah. Uh, it was just that about two or three years into that, I was talking with a friend and, you know, you see at these shows, you see these celebrities, the mostly it's B-list celebrities that are there on the autograph alley and you just, you're tired and you go to some dark places and you just think, what would happen if, you know, something, if one of those guys had a heart attack and... And I think, and I won't name any names because that's that's definitely not what we need to get into. But one of our kind of this dark idea was that one of these B-list guys starts to have a heart attack and tries to get his fans to back away from his table, and he just kind of stumbles out into the into the row into the path there into the alley and falls down. And he's just like clutching at his chest and his arm and saying, "No, please, just." Get me help. And he's looking up, and the last thing that he sees is a fanboy standing over him with the phone cam, looking down and taking a picture of him dying. Wow. You see? Yeah. Come on. But who of, – of us guys that went to con after con after con after con, you start just kind of looking around and going, you know, hmm, and getting some weird thoughts. But – that scene. Let me let me reassure everyone and anybody who thinks they might know who I'm talking. That scene is not in the book at all. It never made the book. That was the inspiration, and so it really just kind of 
worked from there to turn into this story about these these B-listers, these uh, these television and movie and, and franchise stars that kind of laid the groundwork, that, that they did the grunt work. They did the work when it wasn't glamorous, when it, there wasn't 120,000 people coming to San Diego, when they were fighting. Glorified, the glorified flea market. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, Go on. exactly. And they, they got treated like crap in the studio system, and now they're living – and I love that Jimmy came up with this, that they're living, you know, autograph to autograph. It's an autograph. Their personal economy is based on autographs. Yes. And, and it's just, these guys have this opportunity for one last, one last go and one last adventure and kind of what pushes them into that. And, and, you know, what they do when they're presented with that is, is the, you know, that's, that's the whole story. But, but going back to the origin. So this, this was, so it's been six years since I left Newsarama. This was at least three or four years before that. So maybe nine or ten years ago that kind of came up with this. Sweated it out a little bit, thought it through some. And at that time, I mean, I know, I've known Jimmy for probably 20 years now. I mentioned it to Jimmy. And he said, hey, you know, I'm going to meet – this was at San Diego. And he said, I'm going to meet with some guys, studio guys. Do you mind if I pitch it, you know, on your behalf to them? Like, sure, whatever. And he did, and they weren't interested, and so the idea kind of died, just went away. And we'd talk about it now and then, and then he got in touch with me a couple years ago and just said, did you ever do anything with that? And and here we are now. It was off to the races. So yeah, that's, you know, I guess that's that story, see? And I'm giving you another story that you're sitting there thinking, that is a typical can story. You probably came up with this last year. Nope. <laughs> it is. It is a truly nine or ten year old story that's just been sitting there in a notebook and just waiting for the right time. I mean, when you think about it, ten years ago, could we have told a story set in a Comic Con that would have appealed to an audience that a publisher would have been willing to take a risk on or that would have appealed to a large audience? Eh, maybe. But now, now that you know, Entertainment Weekly does an episode does does a whole issue. On San Diego, that you know, Entertainment Tonight is posted at San Diego, like embedded journalists for the entire week. You know, now I think it's this story. You know, the audience is there for this story, so everything just worked out just really, really well. Yeah, the market has indeed shifted, and I want to talk about that as well. So <laughs> uh, obviously, because yeah. no, and I mean that's the thing. It's it, it, man, it's it's just crazy. All right, but let's stick with the story first, because no, I, I like uh, by the way. That in the press release, the elevator pitch is right there. Ocean's Eleven meets Galaxy Quest, yep. and what you described obviously helps you know facilitate that. And and it's funny, I just a couple of days ago on Netflix was watching Galaxy Quest again, and uh, you know, yeah, it's that vibe. And and like I said, um, there are flea markets that still exist. And yeah, for for newbies and people that really have only been going to cons for the last couple of years and stuff, might not realize how small right. the shows, including San Diego, used to be. Right. And I mean, I've seen the leap. I only started going, Matt, in 06. And yeah. so, I mean, I really yeah, – that was, was at the edge. That was yeah. those those years that just – I remember one of my first years, um, I had just the best time on uh, preview night walking around because it was – I think it was my first year there maybe. But I was walking around with um, Greg Rucka and Jen Van Meter. And we were just walking around, and it was just like it was friends. Everybody knew everybody else because you know it was comics creators that were there on the floor. And you know, by two, three years later, preview night it was just another day. And yeah. yeah, yeah, you can't imagine some of these things. Or like, 
like the regional shows like uh, Pittsburgh um, in uh, in Monroeville there, Pittsburgh Comic Con that it, for a few years. It was it was kind of a struggling show, and I can remember seeing you know you walk by and just like look at these guys on on Autograph Alley, and it's like, wow, you're boy, this is this is what you do now, or part of what you do now, and so yeah, it's it's come around, it's really come around, and so that's you know that's nice for us in the story even because we have these characters that you know we're at Pittsburgh's and we're at. Uh, Plakipsies, and we're at all these other kind of low key cons, just living, you know, hand to mouth. And now sure. it's now it's millions and millions of dollars, and new relaunches of their of their properties are you know headlining on magazine covers and making making huge stars out of these kids. And it's just giving them all a chance to go. Wait a minute, come on now, and so. Yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of kind of you know the the current, not what everyone sees, but the current. You can believe this might be going on underneath behind the scenes that people might be thinking this way. So, uh, as far as the writing, I want to know uh, who uh, how'd the collaboration go? It's organic. It's really been organic. Um, I had a lot of stuff come up for the first issue, so Jimmy handled a big chunk of that, and I kind of came in towards the the second half or last quarter of it. And then I, I was the one who felt passionate about that second issue and just really took it on. And then he came in to do like the last, again, about the last quarter. And then, um, and now it's shifted back and back. He felt really strongly about the third issue and how he wanted to see that happen. And so now I've got that and I got to finish up the third issue and then we'll probably hit the fourth issue more or less together. Um, but of course, you know, we both go over what the other has done. And, you know, I think I'm benefiting from that a lot more than Jimmy, I'll say, because, you know, here I, here I am, I've got, you know, how many comic book credits to my name. I'm still, I think I'm still on one hand now. And, you know, I got somebody like, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy Palmiotti just reading over my work and saying, uh, you don't want to do this here. And this, this payoff needs to really happen bigger here or something like that. So where I might just say, um, I think her name is Sarah with an H, not Sarah with an A at the end. That's that's like the extent of my corrections to him. It's just that much. <laughs> well, what things do you think? Uh, yeah, can you quantify some of the other things you think you've learned now? You know, working with somebody like Jimmy, who obviously is experienced, yeah. and and I love how he keeps finding new people, not only on the art side, but that you know, I, I really like that he's he's collaborating with you like this as well. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, you know, honestly, and I've heard that Jimmy really, you know, he broke in a lot of, you know, editors over at DC and stuff like that. And I really think, is this like kind of important collaborator mentor kind of combination? I, you know, I can't, I, obviously I can't speak for Jimmy, but um, I mean, I, I think it's, I think, and again, this is me over speaking for Jimmy. I think Jimmy's at a place right now. He just, he's really having fun. Obviously, with Harley Quinn and working with Amanda and all his work with Justin and all his other solo stuff and his Kickstarter stuff. With Damn Kickstarter, strange. He's, he's yes. kind of broken into that place I think he's wanted to be for you know years, if not decades. And he's just yep. about doing stuff that he enjoys. I mean, if you, yeah. you know, if you follow him on any of the social media, he's, you know, he talks about that kind of stuff and just, you know, it's, he's, he's, uh, walking the walking the talk or talking the walk or 
He's saying what he's doing. Uh, so, yeah, he's, you know, so I can't say that, you know, I don't, I certainly don't think he looks at me as some kind of hot new talent that he's breaking in or something like that. Um, I think he just, like I said, we've known each other for going on 20 years now. We've been friends for a long time. We've had our, you know, like any friends, you have your ups and downs and it's just really fun just working together again and just, I get all worried about things and Jimmy calls me and everything's okay. And why am I worried about this? So it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's. Yeah, I understand that. But, right, but what I'm saying is you yourself said you've only got five issues of comic yeah. book credit. So you are learning from him. I'm not saying that oh. he discovered you or anything <laughs> like that. And, and no, and like you say, you guys have known each other a long time. It's just in terms of, you know, what you might be learning from him and in a different capacity, like I said, the way he broke in editors. Yeah. And, and I just think it's, you know, it's interesting that, like you said, he's having fun and is also willing to, you know, share what he knows with a lot of, I right. think, people newer to the business. Right, right. And, and obviously, like you were saying, his contacts, and this goes back to what, you know, what I'm learning, his, his contacts and kind of his interests, he's, he's a super smart guy. I mean, yeah. he knows how he can come off, and I think his friends kind of just kind of sit back and laugh with him a bit when people think he's – he knows exactly what's going on all the time. And he's – for years, he's been writing, writing his comics with a, a cinematic eye, not – not for the sake of, oh, well, this will be adapted someday or this will be adapted someday and this will be adapted for film someday. But that's what the audience wants. The comic reading audience is getting used to that kind of view and that approach in their entertainment. And so that's that's the that's the approach they want. And so he's been you know, he's been doing that for years. He's been making friends and breaking into, you know, making inroads in Hollywood for years. And so, you know, going back to what, you know, what have I learned just different things about pacing and storytelling that I never would have thought about that he would, you know, say, well, you know, when I was talking to so-and-so and I've used this a lot now or a director or something like that, that you want to always start with this and then you go to that rather than the other way around or just some, some really broad global storytelling issues and some just very small mechanical issues of you can't start a, you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to put it down to it. And I've got issue three kind of just swimming all through my brain on, on different parts of it now. But it's what he's taught me on this stuff or what I've kind of gleaned from it. It has been like a master class where with John Carter, I turned that script in, thought, you know, I thought that was a pretty good process. And I, I really enjoyed how I did that. And now with Jimmy, it's just nope. And it's a different type of story, too. And so he's sure. you know, working together is just a much different approach to it, which, you know, I did with Troy Brownfield and a bunch of stuff and hopefully we'll be doing again. But, uh, but yeah, it's just been a, a really, really cool process to work with someone who's just, you know, at the top of this game, like Jimmy is. Shame on me. What did you do with uh, Troy? Uh, Troy and I did, that was what, just a year out of Newsarama. We did a Batman story. We, um, I like to say we did the last Batman story before the new 52. Um, <laughs> And we did a Buck Rogers annual over for uh, for Dynamite as well. So. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Oh, very cool. So how did you, prior to, you know, then uh, pre-Jimmy and stuff, what, you know, what influences did you have going into writing your first comic scripts? Um, you mean with Troy or? Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you, as you attempted to do this, where do you think you, you know, started picking up the craft? I mean, did you do anything beyond script samples? I mean, you know, do you, were... I've, what kind of craft did you? Learn? It's always been 
even when I, when I was with Newsrama, writing had always been, you know, writing stories and novels and everything had always been just something I wanted to do. But then with Newsrama and then with my role in Newsrama, not by any means getting smaller over the years and just staying mm-hmm. and kind of me becoming known, I just that had to really take a back seat to the point of turning into I'll do this someday when I'm not doing Newsrama because I felt that any kind, anything, even in book publishing, um, would have been ethically weird. It would have looked and I understand. ethically weird. And, you know, sure, th- it's an industry where perception is reality. And so I did. I couldn't afford to hurt Newsrama when, you know, I was putting food on my table with it. And so sure. I, I just, I cooled all that stuff down. But then after I got out... You know, Troy and I have been talking for years of, well, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if, and, uh, so right after I got out the, I said, I need, I need like four or five months just to decompress and then, then we'll start and, and think about things. And shortly after that, this is when, uh, Janelle Aslan was still working at, um, DC in the bat offices. And she's, she asked if we'd be interested on pitching a Batman story for a Batman 80 page giant back when they did those. And we said, yeah. Well, what are you supposed to say when – do you want to pitch a Batman story? Uh, I think the correct answer to that is yes. Immediately, <laughs> and not even think about it, but yes. And so with that and then also with the, uh, with the Buck Rogers, it was just I want to – I love these characters. I want to tell stories that I want to I read. And so Batman was – uh, you know, what we were hoping would have been like the kind of the opener to an idea that I had had of – the government was, and again, this was pre-New 52, so this was kind of a, a different idea than what they were doing. Um, the Batman story we did was a little small taste of the idea that the the military and the government knew that sooner or later they were going to have to come down on the heroes. And so they were testing out this urban warfare type of equipment and battle suits and armor. They would test them out against Batman. They would put a, uh, put a soldier in, in this armor. And his mission was to get to the city limits by 6 a.m. or engage and defeat the Batman. And that's how they would give the field test to their uh, to their equipment. Okay. And and so, it, you know, like it was this whole start of this big, big idea that that uh, obviously the new 52 took over and we never really got to play with. But uh, but then Buck Rogers was the same kind of idea of, you know, how can you tell an interesting story about a man who got shot 500 years into the future? Well, how about if it's his birthday? He figures out how the calendars have changed over the five centuries that he's been asleep. And thanks to Dr. Hewer, he points out, oh, by the way, this is such and such a date. And Buck just goes, that's my birthday. Well, what do you do? You're all alone. Everyone you know is dead. Everyone you know is beyond dust. No one knows you know, what the big deal is. And oh, by the way, the last time you saw your girlfriend, it was kind of on bad terms. And so it was kind of Buck's look, Buck's quest for closure a little bit. And, you know, so I, I always want to write stories that I want to read and I would be interested in reading. And and I think that's, you know, that's what you got to do. That's that if you stay true, it, true to it, that's what you're going to do anyway. And then once you're there. Boy, it's it's interesting to go back and read the stories or if you look at them again and realize, hey, that snuck in there. I didn't realize that I had, for instance, in my John Carter story, there are a couple lines there, um, you know, John Carter stuck on Earth and he could not 
he got very upset because he could not remember what Dejah Thoris looked like. And he had been stuck on Earth for many years at that point, And he couldn't remember what she looked like. And I remember writing that just thinking that's kind of a sad, neat little thing to put in there. And then I, I look back on it and my mom has been, is struggling with Alzheimer's and, you know, to, to see, Oh, I guess my brain was still trying to process that and still trying to put this all together. And these were just the pieces that were floating around in there that, that made it out into that story. So it's, it's both. So I, I write, write the stories that I want to read and it turns out to be some kind of therapy event type of thing as well, I guess. Wow. Well, they, they really do sound like, I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm, and let me assure you, <laughs> I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. They sound like great stories. <laughs> I, I laughed at the Batman thing, but no, that was just because I'm like, no, that's a good idea. Oh, we, got some, we had some so. nice, nice reviews of that Batman story that, you know, this, again, this was right before New 52 was coming and people didn't really understand the scope of it. And some of the reviews said, you know, I want to read the next part. This is really cool. That's, I hope this continues. You guys should be writing, you guys should be writing either Batman or detective. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Hilarious. No, you know, those Eddie page giants had a lot of great little uh, stories. And again, it was a great opportunity to bring a bunch of new yep. talent in to kind of, you know, play with their, uh, play with their it ideas. Was, Absolutely. Yeah, their old, their old tryout kind of system there. So no, it was cool. The, uh, well, I, I'm telling you, I think a uh, big con job. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the premise. I do think that it's interesting. Five issues, I'm assuming? Or? Uh, four issues. Four yeah. issues, okay. Yep. I hope four. Excellent. We're planning to and end it, it in four. We might just uh, – we'll have the fifth issue that I'm just sitting around going, what do we want to do now? <laughs> no, I think it's uh, – I think it sounds very cool. And I'm, uh, I am I figured and, – and looking at the clarity of the pitch and what I saw in the press release – and also based on our conversation, I'm like, I don't need a preview. I mean, this is this is this is very clear yep. what it is, yep. and I think it's in really good hands. So I, I like it. Thanks. Well done, man. Thanks. Thanks. Absolutely. So let's let's move on to some of the sure. big picture stuff because, as you say, I mean, we were talking about how San Diego has changed. Um, look at where things were in 2000. Well, first of all, let's go way back. Oh. Let's because we're really doing like kind of yep. an inside out interview as far as chronologically and stuff like that. Because we've touched a little bit about uh, you, you know, when your when your uh, role at Newsarama expanded, but ta- let's let's go back to the beginning. So, were you at Wizard before Newsarama? Nope. Nope. Okay. So how nope. did you? So how did you happen to get with Newsarama? Oh, how did boy. that all happen? This all it's it it's weird and funny at the same time. It I was um, in graduate school for uh, physiology, and I was working on my PhD in physiology, and I started. I had been writing little bits here and there for my friend's uh, comic shop newsletter. And I kept doing that and got into CBG back in the day, Comic Buyer's Guide. Okay. And um, What year was this now? I'm going to make you, I'm going to age you. Sorry. This would have been 91-ish. Okay. Yeah, right around 91. So you, that's when you started, that's when you started popping in uh, CBG? Yep. Yep. Okay. I remember, I still remember getting that call. We, I, we were, in uh, my first article for CBG was, boy, that was, um, it would have been somewhere summer 91 or something like that. And I still remember, I don't know, I can't remember who this guy's name was, but um, just a really gruff old kind of publisher guy. When you think back of CBG, they were a Krauss publication. So it was just, you know, an old newspaper, Midwestern newspaper guy sure. had all these accounts and everything. And he just like, yeah, we want, we want you to write that for us. And it was kind of just. <laughs> shock of disbelief as well as, you know, I couldn't really quite understand what you're saying. I was like, could you say that again? 
And so, yeah, I got, I got started in CBG and what kind of, what kind of articles? Back oh, then? it was just coverage of big stuff, Whatever was happening. small stuff. Yeah. Yep. Okay. No, like, yeah, no comic history or anything no, like that. No, or... no. When you look at, they got, they had, you know, they had John Jackson Miller and Brent Frankenhoff. They could, they could, and Maggie, so they could handle all sure. the history that they needed to handle. Um, so anyway, I can, I'll, I'll try to shorten this up a bit cause I can talk about this for days. Um, but, well, if you don't, hey man, this could go for this. You know, we're only a half hour in, and I like I got a lot of questions. But anyway, go on. But uh, yeah, so we <laughs> moved up here to North Carolina, and for school that I was going to work on, we, my wife and I, we had both finished up our master's degrees, and I was coming up here for uh, to work on my PhD, and um, I was continuing to write and continue, and of course, that time looking out and saying, well, you know, there's these places, and there's this this wizard magazine that I could write for. And so I pitched something at Wizard, showed them my old my clippings, and they liked it. And I, my first article at Wizard was, I think it was the History of Teen Heroes. Yeah, History <laughs> of Teen Heroes, way, way back. And I remember my first sentence in that article was, it all started in 1940 with a young boy showing way too much thigh. <laughs> and, and so... And, but that again, you know, that's, I think that, that kind of cemented me in at wizard. And, uh, so then I stayed with wizard for two, three years then. And I was literally, I was doing, and I can say this now since I'm so far from it and I don't think anybody can still get mad at me for it, but I would be doing research on a lab bench in physiology. I was doing literally, literally, I'm not saying literally to be ironic here, but literally I was doing brain surgery on rats on my bench and then I would spin around in my chair while the while the rat was settling in or something, or I'd have to wait for a medic uh, procedure to uh, wait for a treatment to take effect. I'd spin around and either you know get on, jump on my computer, or jump on a phone real quick to make a call, and then spin around and go back to that. And that went on and on and on. And I started doing a lot more for Wizard, a lot more articles in the evenings and weekends. I wrote kind of infamously the bulk of their Bad Girl special. Uh, that would have been like 90, 94, 95, somewhere in there. Um, profiles of all the bad girls in comics at the time, starting with Lady Death and going all the way to, uh, I don't know. I don't even want to remember who. Um, <laughs> but then I reached a point with uh, graduate school that everything kind of stalled. I'd been there for five years. And at the same time, I was doing all this writing and occasionally getting sent to conventions. Um, it was really fun. Doing that kind of stuff was really fun. And... I hit a bad, bad part with my uh, my research and it just looked like I kind of got the feeling that, you know, I didn't have any support and my research wasn't going anywhere. So I just I had a bad meeting with my with my um, advisor and my counsel and went home for lunch, had a talk with my wife, went back in that day and said, I'm done. I'm done. I got to do other things and never look back. And from then on out. You know, I think like most guys, uh, um, I don't think I'm any different from most guys. My wife handles the money in the house. And so I think it was years later before she told me how scared she was that day that I stopped, you know, I quit graduate school and decided to write for a living. And uh, but everything worked out. And I started along with writing for Wizard. And again, this was mid to headed towards late 90s. Um, okay. I started writing for anotheruniverse.com, the uh-huh. Steve Milo's old show there, and um, 
wizard uh wizard kind of i think didn't like the small mammal nipping at its ankles and uh wasn't quite sure what to make of the this internet thing that these kids seem to be on a lot and they were i mean and again i'm not saying anything that nobody knows at this doesn't know so it's just like 98 you're like 98 99 yeah, right yeah right around there but okay, at this point, on. you know, Wizard was just like, you know, they were playing Jimmy Cagney of, you know, we've published a thousand magazines and we're going to publish a thousand more. This internet oh, thing yeah. is just a fad. And uh, they were. I had that conversation with Garrett. Yeah. I mean, it was it was surreal in terms of how come you're not changing? Oh, compelling content. Yep. That's all I need. Yep. Compelling. And I'm like, all right, man, good luck with this. Yep. Go on. Yep, exactly. And and there were times that um, at, at that point I'd met Mike Duran. And so we were kind of the team on anotheruniverse.com and okay. we had established or Mike of course had the Newsarama name um and then we brought it over to another universe and we're working it there and we had had some talks just you know keeping doors open we'd talked to Wizard and we we're like guys you know we could bring Newsarama over to Wizard and it would just it would take off cuz we really get a lot of numbers on this and, you know, at that point, at that stage in the game, Newsarama was pretty much, you know, right up there with Wizard and CBG in terms of, of news. And so between me and Mike, we were writing for all three anyway. And so we were, you know, kind of living the best place. But uh, Wizard ultimately finally just said, no, we're done and let me go and didn't give me any more freelance work. And so I just put all that effort back into another universe and then another universe got bought out by fandom uh which was a fun day because they wanted all the as much of the staff as they could get to come up to virginia and so that was the one day in my life where i had that you go to the airport in the morning get on a small jet fly up and you'll be back that evening um that was crazy money being thrown around and uh that was your commute each day no 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 no, not each day that was uh i wish that was the that was the one day that they uh they had the staff in to talk I switch over to fandom and how. Of course, it's the internet. You don't have to yeah, physically. Right, okay, right. Yeah. And <laughs> even then, I mean, and not not doing the you know the smart ass thing, but even then, looking back at it, it was just like standing there in the warehouse. You know, this is the anotheruniverse.com warehouse, so everything was in there, everything. But standing in that warehouse, looking at all that stuff, and then hearing this guy from fandom talk about how they're going to do this, this, and this, and. That, that, and this, and we're going to have this content site and this content site. And the idea was, you know, a wheel and, and spokes coming off of it. I still can remember thinking, this is great, but I really don't understand how he's going to make any money. And they wanted to have, they were in talks with John Carpenter to have him come on and do the first internet exclusive movie. And you could imagine how herky-jerky a movie in 1998 would have looked on coming across the internet. Like that, I forget that very early uh, or late '90s uh, streaming. It wasn't Asylum; it was something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, you know what I'm yep. talking about? Yeah, and it, yeah, I can't remember. Yep. Can't remember. Yep. How you doing? Icebox. It's like watching Icebox. Yeah, yeah. back in 1999. Yep. How about that, guys? Yep. Oh. <laughs> and now everyone just goes, "Man, these two guys are really old." Yeah, I remember when <laughs> the internet used to come on the uh, Philco. <laughs> There you go. FDR would talk about how HTTP is going to, but um, his first Google chat warmed <laughs> a nation, <laughs> and we've lost all the audience. 
But no, like we, I brought it back with Google Chat. So <laughs> what? But but this was so this was in the day of, you know, late nineties. It was just crazy that we were seeing these guys and these kids that we knew, you know, suddenly be there on staff and their site was bought by so and so, and this was, you know, Psy Comic and. Oh, why is that the only one I can remember? But all you know, all the the money that would come in, along with everybody thinking, "Well, they do it, I can do it," and it was it was crazy time. And then it all went away. I still remember the day that I got the call, and I, you know, I I thought I was savvy, but I was not business savvy at all in terms of terminology and how things would work. And just got that call saying. Yeah, um, we've gone bankrupt, so you guys can stop working. We're done. From wow. this was fandom dot com, and that was right. like on a on a Friday, and I just said, uh, "Is there going to be another paycheck?" They it was right at the time the check should have gone out, and I just said, "Is there going to be a check on Monday?" No. Well, well, what there? What? what? And yeah, and you know, at that point, you know, you just kind of. Look into the eyes of your 11-month-old son and go, hey, oh, boy. Um, but then at that at that point, uh, it was Rick Veach and Steve Conley stepped in, and they had, um, oh, what was it? Comic-Con.com. Comic-Con.com, yep. Yeah, Comic-Con. I, that's where I discovered everybody, absolutely. Yep. They brought Newsarama over to Comic-Con.com, and we were a site there, and – they got, you know, they went out and found the money for it and got the advertisers and everything and uh, all that kind of stuff. And again, you know, in retrospect, um, Mike and I were still pretty hungry and I think we were a little bit hungrier than they might have thought we were. So we kept, you know, kind of pushing and seeing and, you know, wanting to make the most of this Newsarama thing that we could. And, uh, you know, we had great relationships with publishers, um, great relationships with the talent, and we just we felt we still could grow more. And at that point in time, one of our one of our biggest kind of big fans in terms of names was uh, Kevin Smith. And so he had dropped a comment once and just said, "If you guys are ever looking for a home, you know, I'd I'd love to have you." And so we. Again, in hindsight, probably not the wisest decision to to make. We called him up and said, "What well, you know? What what can we work out?" And so we got working with uh, his guy Ming on mm-hmm. some tech developments. Which now I never watched an episode of what is it, Comic Shop Guys? Yeah, Comic Book Man. Yeah, Comic Book Man. Um, Ming is on there now. I see on right. like you know I I scroll by that show on Netflix. I'm like, what? So it's just you know all these guys I knew back from the VSQ days. Um, but yeah, Kevin took us on and we were part of USQ along with, um, oh, and now I forget that too. Ryle, Chris Ryle of IDW had, uh, oh yeah, the movie one. Oh yeah. Moviepoopshoot.com, right? Yep. Yep. From, uh, from Clerks or, uh, from, uh, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back Movie yep. Poop Shoot. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, <laughs> that was Chris. Chris was doing that, and Mike and I were- I totally forgot that was Chris Ryle. That's fantastic. Oh, Go on. And I, oh, I still remember the day, and he's going to hate me. I don't know if he will, but he's probably over it by now. Not that's a big deal. Um, I still remember the day that he, he emailed me, and he's just like, Ted Adams wants me to interview for a job at IDW. Do you think I should take it? I'm like, 
Hell yes, man. When do you think, you know, what do you think your future is, is with Movie Poop Shoot? It's called Movie Poop Shoot, for Christ's sake. Exactly. And leave all and leave show business. Yeah. Am I, are you nuts? I think I think that like somebody joked that line back or forth to each other. Just and leave all this behind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Mike and I did that, and you know, at the, uh, at the time when we were with Viewskew, we were uh, we were working. Oh, I mean, we were working really hard, making sure everything everything came together. And Kevin, to his credit, was taking care of the advertising. He had Bob Chapman. Um, with graffiti designs was covering a chunk, and then Kevin was covering a huge chunk, and so it was their their stuff. And you know, we'd give nods to them as much as we could, but it was just they were kind of the sponsors. They were the you know, it was Newsarama brought to you by Graffiti Designs and View And then came the day I forget who told me of just like, yeah, you guys might want to find something else because I hear Kevin's really cutting back on stuff because this was this was uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back era Kevin Smith. So this was flush with cash, Kevin Smith. And at the beginning, and then after two, three years, kind of, huh, these, I think he had the idea that, you know, these little hobby things weren't really working out or he'd talk to his money guys or whatever and, and realize that. And so again, it was what, four, four years after that first one, I got the call again. Uh, yeah, Kevin's decided not to, not to continue on advertising with you guys. So, uh, and would this would this be like oh three oh four? Yeah, I think somewhere around there. Go on. It's like oh, you'll understand why I didn't write it down. I I don't want to remember it to this day. Well, I hey man, we've all been yeah. in broadcasting. Yeah. We've yeah. all been True. there, so I understand. And a lot of icky moments yeah. that this yeah, one, we'd rather not remember. So I and, and again, you know, I can't. It it took me a long time to be able to say this. I can't really blame Kevin Smith on this. I can't. Of course not. It's uh, you know, it was just it was my, it was a money decision, and. Uh, Right, it's business. Yeah. No, it you know, and I mean, Jesus, the Adam Carolla and Kevin Pollock's uh, patron for their podcasts and stuff got out of the business like two years ago. For he's just like you know, hey, I'm sorry, priorities change, and I, I just don't have the capital to yeah. to keep this thing going. I thought it would have you know taken off by now. It was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. And but to his credit, and this is where you know I will you know it, it it's really hard for me to say a bad word about Kevin Smith. I called and did that same thing and just said, so we're done. And, you know, the, the lady I was talking to said, yeah, you're done. That's, that's it. And I said, you're giving us like three weeks notice or and, and sorry, it was, you're giving us like a week's notice. This was at the end of December. So holidays, you're giving us a week's notice. We need to go find new advertisers, but it's Christmas. You're, we're really kind of stuck here. Is there any way we could continue this for one more month? And to Kevin's credit, uh, you know, again, I don't care what people say. He's a good guy to me. He's he. She said, "Let me check with Kevin." Checked it out. One more, and so fantastic. We took That's one excellent. more month. But and here's the you know the connection back to present day that that set us on um, Christmas of figuring out well we gotta we gotta get advertisers ourselves now. And so I was panicked and freaking out over Christmas. And I can remember to this day because my family's tradition is we always go to Disney World at Christmas. I can remember being in the room at Disney at the place that we stay at. And uh, I was on the phone with Jimmy Palmiotti and he was saying, it's going to be all right, man. It's going to be all right. Let me call the guys I know. I know these guys here. I know these guys here. We'll find you advertisers. Don't you worry about this. I, I want you to have a good, 
good Christmas, but don't you worry about this. It'll be okay. That's that's the kind of guy Jimmy Palmiotti is. And so, Fantastic. So uh, yeah. we put it together, hodgepodge, learned about website design because we had to do a lot ourselves at that time. And uh, we, you know, were covering all these advertisers. They were doing, doing business directly with us. Um, somewhere in there, Mike left for a couple years. For one of those years, he was at working at Marvel. And mm-hmm. the other year he took off. And I think that's probably about the time that you came on. When I was, when the ship was totally under my control, I want to say 07. Yeah, uh, I believe it was 2007. And and uh, by the way, and to your credit, uh, and I know I've told you this, I think in private, but um, at the same time, Jonah Wyland from uh, oh, right. CPR yeah. was also like, "Hey, you want to bring War Balloon here?" And and you guys are, "Hey, you want to bring over War Balloon here?" And it was you and Mike. And I'm like, because Mike, I think I think Mike was the, okay. the one or part of it that when. Uh, he introduced the idea. So it must have been right before he went to Marvel. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. Yep. Re- regardless, yeah, I talked to I talked to Brian and I'm like, what do you think? And he goes, I like them both. <laughs> and he goes, and he meant it. And he truly did. But he goes, he goes, but I like my Mike. He goes, I've known I think he said he might have known you guys longer. I'm I'm guessing that was probably the case. Yeah. And that there was more of a track record. And you know, it's funny because I didn't know Jonah well, and it's Jonah and I have a lot in common, our radio backgrounds, and I respect the hell out of Jonah. But, you know, it really was like one and one A, as I've said sometimes on double bills of word balloon in terms of who's like, you know, the bigger guest or whatever. And it's like it doesn't really matter. And I went with you guys. I'm certainly glad I did because uh, uh, we got to know each other and had a, a lot of fun. Yep. Yep. And uh, I'm telling you, man, and I've, I've I don't know how much I've said it on the air, but uh, you and, and uh, Vanita and I, when we'd be on a convention together and oh, stuff, man. it was a blast. We'd laugh for three days. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that that made it worthwhile and bearable because covering a convention otherwise, man. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so like, I mean, are there are there moments of uh, Newsarama when you, you know, were there? And I'm, I'm going to say Rama because, you know, I, you can't I can't. Help All right. I'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, are there are there highlights that you can, you know, think of that, you know, still make you happy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's times um, and it goes back to what you were saying of just it's a small industry and some of these people, you know, for years and you know, you break the rule a little bit or you bend the rule a little bit and you get to be friends with them. And, and it, you know, it, it can lead to some problems. Um, you know, luckily with Newsarama, most of the time I had a big enough staff that I was able to say, I can't cover this or I can't do this. Uh, somebody else has to, because he's a really good friend of mine. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a lot of the, a lot of the stuff. I mean, you know, individual moments. Sure. Uh, just, you know, a, a, a know nothing kid who liked comics growing up and, you know, here, there I was being treated like a VIP by the organizer of uh, New York Comic Con the first year because, you know, he knew that for this con to really take off, Newsarama had to had to really shine and and really show a good side side to this con. So. You know, he was making sure that, you know, we were had everything we needed and we had the access that we needed to the big guys and and all that kind of stuff. Um, Big picture wise, I still and I know people listening will probably at some point rip their earphones out in disgust and throw them down. But I still can look at how things are today. I can still I, I look at, you know, the fact that 
Wired. I can I can mention Wired because I did I worked for them for a little bit and did some work with Adam okay. Rogers, who's you know now moved on to writing books and all kinds of stuff that's really cool. Mm-hmm. But I you know I I took Adam Rogers around San Diego and introduced him to a lot of people. Um, his first year there as officially with Wired, and because he was saying he had to convince his publisher and his editor in chief that you know this scene was something to cover. And now, if you look, you know, Wired covers comics and pop culture continuously. Um, the rest of, you know, kind of everybody that took their lead, if not took their lead, but the coverage and the acceptance that comics have now to the point of the creators themselves, you know, being quasi celebrities. Mm-hmm. I can look at that. I can look at today's world and how things are and go, I, I had a little role in that. I had some role in getting this ball really rolling and publicized. And I can, one of the biggest thrills of my life was, I think it was, it was the very first, I think it was the first New York comic con. Um, it was a, the reach show, the new yeah, reach, yeah. the reach show that, you know, is current now, but yep. yeah, started in 06. Yeah. Go on. But I think it was, um, Neil Gaiman was doing a reading for, uh, uh, CBLDF. And I was hanging there um, before it all started. I was going to cover it. Um, I was hanging around with Charles Brownstein, executive director. And he's like, book, defense yeah, one, yep. Yep. And he says, he says, come over here. I want you to, I want you to meet somebody. And cause I, he said, he said, I want you to meet somebody. Cause I, cause I've heard them mention Newsarama a couple times and he takes me over and he introduces me to Bill Hader and Seth. Seth Myers. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm just, I'm like, and at that point I wasn't, watching SNL that much. And I, I knew a little bit and they were just like, Hey, Oh, it's great to meet you. I read your site all the time. I really love all the coverage that you give to comics. It's really cool to see that comics have this feeling now that they're like out there and should be, you know, should be noticed as much as they, as much as you guys are doing. It's really great. You do a great job. And you know, now I can still see Bill Hader, or Seth Myers and just go, <laughs> I shook their hand. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, you know, that's, I can think of the good stuff that way. And, you know, I know people's mileage will vary on this, but I just, I like to think I had, Newsarama had a little bit to do with just where comics are now. Of course it did. And so, I, I mean, I will say, I, yeah, I expect, well, you know, you, well, no, but you know, I expect, anybody that's coming after me. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'll, I'll say it because I, I'm fine. I spent three years there for, for people who might not remember or weren't listening to War Balloon at the time. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's fine. But, but I also am a, a, a fan and an observer. And this is also, we'll get more into this. But yeah, I mean, just look at where comic book films were when the Sam Raimi Spider-Man came out or even earlier, you know, back to the singer X-Men movie in 99 or blade really, that's where I was benchmarking everything um, to where we are now. And you go back to that, like, you know, 2005, 2006 point, you know, we're talking about snakes on a plane. We're talking about sin city in Oh five, you know, the, the second Laura Croft movie, you know, I mean, there's this transition that, yeah, as you say, steps had to make, like had to be taken to get to where we were. It wasn't just one big leap of, Oh God, look at that one movie. Let's, you know, Oh my God, Iron Man came out. Let's all rush and everything. No, there was this buildup, you know, and I, you know, those are the temples right there. I would say, you know, probably, probably, you know, singer X-Men and then, and then, uh, 
obviously Iron Man. I mean, that's that one era. Mm-hmm. And Newsarama and CBR were, were absolutely, yep. they were the go-to places. Yep. You know, Heidi, uh, the, was it The Beat? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, and I shame on me because it's still The Beat, but now it's Comics Beat, and that's how I think of it. And also that she's with Publishers Weekly. Yeah. But yeah, those were the, those, you guys were the three sites yeah. that I think everybody went to for news and stuff. So certainly. And my favorite, one of my favorite parts about all this is because for the most part, we, we all had better things to do, but, and so we kind of would let the, this feeling go of the three sites. And of course you got to throw in bleeding cool or in the, in the gutters or, um, yeah, his, well, yeah, his comp- that's, that's true. Rich, Rich's yeah. bleeding cool, of course started at CBR it, as a, um, and by the way, very quickly, cause I want to correct myself. It was the pulse, the pulse that was, and then the uh, beat came off I, of the pulse. That's right. That's right. But I forget. I mean, I, I don't want to leave Jen Contino yeah, yeah, out. Ben. Jen were excellent running the pulse. And then, yep. of course, Heidi, you know, went on with the beat. Go on. Jen, Jen, funny story with that. Jen and I are from the same hometown in uh, Western Pennsylvania. Oh, that's crazy. Went to the same high school. She was a couple years behind me in the same high school, which is too funny. As big as the Internet can be. That's yeah, that's the weirdness of it all. But uh, no, I got I have, you know, it was it was frustrating because it was a weird situation with with when we left Comic-Con and, and Rick and Steve and then, you know, the pulse came right in. But I had ultimately nothing but respect for Jen because she was a workhorse. She <laughs> just she could drown us in volume in terms of, of content, which was just frustrating, the day, kind of intimidating I- to watch. Just like, come on, how many articles can you post a day? Well, I, I understand, and that I think that might be one of the reasons why, you know, she, like, you know, it just happened. Well, you left as well. I was going to yeah. say it just happened with Andrew Sullivan going, you know, something I've kind of written myself out. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that was his that was his thing. Well, we'll get to why you yeah. left in a second, but go ahead. So, uh, but I would agree. No, that, oh, regardless, well, as you were saying about those three sites. Rich in there, too. And, Rich. and the thing is that I think we've all had, you know, all had our grumblies with Rich um, here and there, but that'd probably be it. But the rest of us. We're pretty decent friends. I still talk to Jonah today. I'll still every now and then I'll shoot him an email or, you know, you know, give him a comment on Facebook or something like that. That mm-hmm. we're, you know, in all of that of just like we were supposed to be these bitter rivals, we were all pals. We we, you know, of course there was business stuff that came up and just like, uh, you got that story and uh, right, exclusives. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. and uh but you know, that that's one of the things I like, you know, that's that's one of the things I still carry through that I can look back and say I really like that is that, you know, I'm still friends with Jonah. I can still drop Rich a note and ask him a question about something and he'll, you know, if I don't understand quite what's going on and the inside behind this, he'll just, he'll shoot me back a quick note and say, this is what's happening. So, you know, that's, that's always fun too. But, you know, on the, the high points though, I mean, you, you, you're right there with me of just like the stuff of just the fanboy in you can kind of go, Holy crap! Did I really just? It, yeah, you know, you, when you find yourself at a party with folks that you've only seen on TV or you've been a fan of for years, or you know that one pro that you you end up at the bar with, and he invites you to come over with his group, and actually, you know, seems to be like really happy to see you for, you know, you're like I don't believe this, and you know, so I, I still I can still you know I still got friends, and it's just like. What was I did this for 20 years about 15 ish. Yeah. About 15 years really. And you know, if you still have friends, like I I had hinted before, like me and Jimmy, we've known each other since the very first days I was doing this. 
And yeah, we had up days and down days when they were with Marvel Knights and I did not want to play along with a, uh, with a April fool's joke that they were doing. And I remember getting an angry call from Jimmy and, you know, we had it out, but you know, we'll see, go, you got to tell the story now. Oh, Come okay. on. Especially, I'm sure that was, you know, this is at least 15 years ago. So go well, ahead. The five people that would remember this that are still around in the industry, Jimmy and Joe Casada are probably, and me are probably the only ones. And Mike Duran, they had a storyline. They wanted a news story run on uh, April 1st about Spider-Man joining the X-Men, which back then, you know, holy would have cracked the internet. Yeah, in the exactly. Absolutely. But now, you know, it's just like, oh, it must be Thursday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it was it was one of those things that, you know, Mike and I felt very strongly about, look, we want to be and again, people are going to have, you know, people's mileage may vary on this, but we felt very strongly of, look, we this the comics industry needs a news, just news, news source and news wire type of thing. And if we compromise ourselves from the very first day, very first days, by running jokes, you know, you guys get the benefit of it, of, oh, isn't Marvel Knights, aren't Jimmy and Joe cool for making this cool joke? Because they had a great graphic, and you think, it was it was either all Jimmy or, you know, Jimmy, Ink, and Joe, um, but it was a neat graphic, and it was like, you guys get the benefit of that, but we don't. We get, we look like these these quote-unquote news guys, they'll publish anything. So why should we trust them? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that kind of stuff was there from the very start. And I remember, like I said, I remember Jimmy and I kind of had a, a tense phone call about that. And, you know, in our years, I think that was about the only time that, that tempers flared or anything. Everything else was always good. But, but yeah, you got, you know, if you have, if you still can say that you have friends after 20 years of, covering them and knowing them and stuff like that. I think they're pretty good friends. So that's cool. Yeah. And the- all right, here's here. All right. Well, while we're on the subject, because I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, well, here, what you have to say? One more day was a big controversial moment between Marvel and Newsarama. Yep. Has, has that had uh lasting, you know, after effects on you, even, even though you've walked away from Newsarama? I think I haven't had a chance. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to, to Joe Casada since I left um, for that much, just, uh, you know, quick emails here and there, mm-hmm. you know, and not that this is, I'm sure it's not for him or anything like that, but um, you know, I'd love, I think if Joe and I ever had a cup of coffee and talked about that, I think we would laugh about it so much more than anything else Understood. at the time. Yeah. At the time I could see, and everybody passions were huge about that at the time, because again, this was, well, it's the one thing, one thing I have always, and I've told him this many times, I've always envied about Jonah is if you, if you ever, you know, read stuff that Jonah writes or hear him talk or something, he just, he seems like he comes off as this cool laid back dude. He is. I don't understand how he does it because I needed to be that way so much. And I just, I think I always took things to extremes and worst case examples and, you know, it was just the time for one more day, you know, when I saw the pieces kind of starting to crack and break and just go, oh, no. You know, this was Newsarama. This was, this was, you know, this was before uh, um, we were bought out. And so mm-hmm. this was, you know, it was paying the bills for a 
bunch of people, me and Mike included. And, you know, I had a family and it just, it, you know, it really kind of put a point on things, on everything we did of, you know, I, I don't want to even, you know. You'll, you'll forgive me, but I do feel like it's necessary to put this in context. Cup of Joe, for instance, yeah. was a weekly Marvel feature that has continued at CBR. Mm-hmm. It was at Newsarama originally. Yep. It was likely one more day. I don't. That, well, you tell me, Matt. Obviously, yeah. I don't know. Honestly, um, probably that had something to do with it. Um, there were, you know, politics and and personalities and feelings all mixed up in it. I can say, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody else or attribute anything to anybody else. I can say that as best I could, I was not trying to instigate anything. I was trying to be the the mediator on just about everything. Um, but it it was one of those things that just seemed to, you know, in my feeling, it, it seemed to kind of give everybody who was looking for it uh, a hook to dig in and go whatever direction they wanted to go with it. Fan response to One More Day uh, and also being there should writers or editorial want to speak to One More Day because it was – uh, it was definitely a controversial story choice from a fan standpoint. Oh yeah, and I and yeah, well, that, you know, it's Matt. This is interesting because again, what I've always respected about you guys before going and, and including my time at Newsarama and including this time as well, I always felt that, as you said with the April Fool's joke, you you were really concerned about the news part of Newsarama and stuff like that. And covering fan reaction is part of covering the news, obviously. But yeah, there. The, this is kind of where you know maybe this is what you were talking about about Jonah's dispassion. Is that a fair yeah, yeah point to make? Yeah, as opposed to you know the fact that yeah, I mean you were bugged by this story and you are a fan. Well, you know, well, I wasn't bugged by the story by the one more day. You know, oh, tell me, okay, the content of the story. No, 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 no. I, I mean, it's I, you know, I. So I okay, because yeah, I mean, I would almost say no, no, I, it did almost I seem like always, you were, I would always, I could always and would always, because I wasn't doing too much, I wasn't doing any reviews, I wasn't doing too much of the, I wasn't doing any kind of um, opinion pieces or anything like that. Um, so the One More Day story, the content of the story, of what happened in it, was neither here nor there for me. Um, it was kind of the coverage that we gave to it and how that coverage was viewed and then how the coverage was responded to. Because don't forget, a huge part of Newsrama was the, new, the Newsrama community. Absolutely. And the comment so section. That, yeah, this, is, we, this yeah. is a kinder, gentler time yeah. that even though there were internet trolls. Yeah, yeah. This is really before the oversaturation. Exactly. I think that's, that's the yeah, that's thing. the, uh, you know, that I can. That's fair. I can turn into Bane on that one of just like, you know, you, you, you. You came to the internet when there were trolls. I was born into the internet when with the trolls. I, you know, and maybe cutting ahead to some questions you have now uh, for later on. I teach high school now. Those kids, they're nothing compared to Newsarama commenters. <laughs> nothing they can throw at me that can even get close to what I had to deal with. And so, I mean, I guess I had a bit of a reputation on Newsarama for like, well, the band hammer, I, I actually have Thor's hammer in my room at, at school, but um, just being, you know, fairly dry in my sense of humor, my kids cannot understand how I can so quickly come back with, uh, they say something and I'm like, yeah, 
you know, I need you to put up your phone. Well, I just got to finish this text. Tell your mom I'll text her later. Put your phone up now. You know, just moving fast because I dealt with hecklers. That was my job. Deal with it. <laughs> but uh, good training. Yeah, exactly. But but you know, going back to what you were saying. Uh, yeah, because uh, well, really, uh, that well, yeah. Cause, uh, wait, I want to real fast. I mean, uh, to to put a little more perspective on it and everything. You know, there because there were there were as you said the content around one more day. This was at the end of. 2007, 2008, whatever year it was, it was the slowest. I do remember this. It was like the slowest time of the news cycle in everything. I mean, everything goes dead after, you know, after Christmas. And it was that Christmas to New Year's week of nothing is happening. That's why you only get two comic books on that Wednesday. Nothing is happening. So that, and unfortunately, that is, you know, when the big moment happens in one more day and everything. And that was that big reaction of the Mephisto, you know, dissolving the marriage and, uh, you know, never happened and stuff. And this huge moment of retcon for Peter Parker, which, I mean, you know, now again, it's, uh, you know, like you said, it must be Thursday, the retcon. Yeah, yeah. And what is it? Mary Jane Jane whispered something to, whispered Hail Hydra to Mephisto or something? Exactly, yes. There we go. There's what actually happened. Hail Hydra. Nice. (laughs) Mary Jane has been with Hydra all along. Um. But yeah, it was at that time, and again, putting context to it for a long part of the time. And this this is where where Newsarama, and probably if I had to be totally honest, was one of the seeds of you know the the light starting to be shown on the door for me. Was that I was damned if I did, damned if I didn't. You know, if I if I said that the community was in no way speaking for Newsarama, then you know the community took it and ran and said whatever they wanted. But then, you know, the community could respond to what they, and I couldn't control the community. That would be unfair. And so the, you know, the content providers, Marvel, DC, the publishers, you know, if they, we have this great idea for a new story and they give us the exclusive and, you know, your first comment after it is, you know, that sucks like yesterday's old cheese. That you know, you can make an argument that that kind of colors all the conversation after it. And, sure. you know, do you want to get into free speech with this or not with a publisher? And we had publishers that would just say, look at that first comment. That's that's just some troll thinking they're funny, but they're they're ruining my reveal of our big media push on everything. And mm-hmm. that's going to have a negative impact on us. you got to take that down. And, uh there are still, you know, we were talking earlier about good memories with Newsarama, and there are still to this day because, you know, as I've gone on and done other things, some people who will remain nameless, obviously, but had, you know, kind of did not have great relationships with Newsarama because of certain, you know, I try, I would always try to fix any kind of problem they had with us. I would always try to fix it to the best of my ability, but then sometimes, some people just kind of kept – I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And if it was something perhaps like, well, the comment section, you just let those commenters say whatever they want. We, yeah, it's – it's that's allowed or you know something. So you know, for all the – I have a, by far majority of good memories um, for Newsarama. But still, to this day, I will see people's names in different projects and I just kind of go, oh. You know, I just, 
and I think I've gotten older and calmer on this now. It's not like, oh, if I could just have one more, I could send one last email to that a-hole. It's not that at all. It's just I would really just like to find that guy now and say, what what do you want me to say to fix this thing that you were so mad at me about? Because that was the that was kind of the, again, good, bad thing with Newsarama was I was a public face of Newsarama. Yay, that meant – Yep. I got you were at every convention. Yeah. Yep. I got to go up on stage and get the first Eisner to an online site from uh, a troop of stormtroopers and a go go from from the go gos. Um, was it Jan Weedland? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess from Jan Weedland to get to get that. And so I was a public face at Newsarama, but that meant I was a public face at Newsarama. And so if you were mad at Newsarama, you weren't mad at Newsarama. Well, you were. And then if you needed to take it out on somebody. You found out Matt Brady's phone number from your publisher or his email address, and you sent him nasty emails or gave him a nasty phone call. Or my favorite was you sent your publisher a nasty email and CC'd Matt Brady on it, which was just like kind of the highlight of the day when that that kind of – it didn't happen all the time by any means. Um, But boy, sometimes when that did – Wow, I'm hip. No, I understand. I well, go on. Well, I mean, just if you, if you, have- you know, so now it's just. The, I guess I've kind of hijacked the topic to go back to the the bad side of things and the downside of things. Well, just the misunderstandings and things where you kind of just it's life. It's life. It was life in I, there where you end up. Somebody says, "Look, please don't tell anybody I did this, but I really, really screwed up, and you cannot tell anybody that this happened." All right, and then. Three weeks later, someone's furious at you to the point that, you know, they're not talking to you and they want the whole company to not talk to you and you can't figure out why. And it all stems back to I'm taking crap for this other person's mistake that was made because I didn't tell anybody. And so just that kind of stuff of, you know, as much as we like to think we're professionals and it's business, it's people. It's always people. So it's always messy. I understand. And also, I think a lot of if not rules, just uh, standard procedure on the internet changed during that same period that things have evolved the way that they have. And the entire social media landscape, and again, this is that pre-MySpace world, let alone Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, et cetera. So, you know, Tumblr, go on. So that all, yeah, that all was changing underneath. Um, But also, you know, as I said earlier, this is, this whole conversation is now taking a darker turn. Um, (laughs) <laughs> don't worry it'll brighten up i swear to god Go ahead. <laughs> but i was saying of just how you know i want to take you know just i was able to see comics go from niche entertainment into being widely accepted into you know shaking hands with celebrities who say they loved what i did um but at the same time because comics were getting more widely accepted you know i that meant that if I was doing my job. Comics were getting out there to a wider audience. Great. And if I was doing my job, that meant that sooner or later, Newsarama was going to lose a big exclusive to somebody who was bigger than us. Absolutely. And so I had to kind of ride through that as well. And I had to listen to the changing tone of voice and the changing talk of the the people that I worked with. You know, it used to be just, you know, it, it would start out with just quick emails or you always had the IM window open and somebody would pop in or stuff like that. Then it turned into, well, you know, 
there are people here who really aren't happy with that story and are kind of confused about, you know, how you could post that without thinking about the relationship between Newsarama and, and us and how, you know, do you, did you really think it wasn't going to change because of that story? Yeah. Publishers became bigger media companies and, and, and with that evolution and and also in the, in the cases of when they were absorbed by bigger media companies. So, Yes, and I and I've experienced the same thing as well. Even doing my little thing, even, I mean, and even talking it, to the same people, you know, absolutely, talking to people absolutely. in the same office. You know, one day it's this; it's easy as anything, and then you 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 know you kind of have to stop like a year later and go, "Did this used to be like this? This well, be a lot easier." I, I'm pleased to say, and I've even had recent examples of it in the last couple shows, that some of these people aren't able to come on as often as they used to, and you do have to go through channels yep. to get to them. Yep. Once you are talking to the person, as I'm sure you've encountered at the cons that you've gone to uh, in the years since you've left Newsarama, it's still the same person, yep. and that's great. And we're not talking about the people, but it is the business, and unfortunately, they don't call their own shots like they yeah. used to, and it's not as easy for them right. to get on the phone with us. Or, or you know, even well, casually is is another thing. But really, you know, mostly our business and pleasure were kind of mixed. And as a consequence, yeah, the the it's tougher to get a hold of them. And that, as you say, a lot more third parties are involved that speak for the corporation as a whole. And and you've got to, you know, they're they're giving a much more critical eye right. than right. when it was the mom and pop businesses. It was right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's weird to say to, to and I'm sure people would think what. These were mom and pop. Yeah. Compared to what they became, you know, on my watch or, you know, in the time I was with Newsarama, DC, Marvel, they started out as mom and pop. And then, you know, I don't need to go into corporate structure and everything, but I can point out this happened and then this changed and this happened and this changed. And it. it, Oh, please, Matt. I mean, you know, DC bought Marvel. it, you know, uh, or rather, Disney bought Marvel. Well, uh, Disney buying Marvel, others. Disney buying Marvel was after I left. Disney buying Marvel. So, you know, in hindsight, I could say, well, maybe some of those things were happening because Marvel, keeping it on the down low, was really working to clean themselves up and make themselves look all shiny and pretty for potential suitors. Because um, there were always rumors around of who was going to buy Marvel and things like that, and maybe DC would split her off and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean that that kind of stuff. Just around the same time as everything was starting to really get big, the publishers by their parent companies got closer looks and really had to had to tighten up and sure. and their press people therefore became a lot. I was thinking it was kind of strange and this is probably the weirdest analogy I'll make um in our conversation, maybe. Um but it was I remember having a conversation with Mike Duran about this and we both kind of went, it was one of those conversations you have and you both kind of end up going, yeah, huh. That the, uh, terminology and the tone, um, of the, the press people changed. And I don't know if you noticed this too, or if I say this and you might go, holy crap, you're right. But for, for me, I noticed it changed after nine 11. Think about the the language, the official language, and how the official language was of, you know, the excuses that would be made. They were polite excuses, but that would be made to basically say you can't get this story, you can't get this interview. Um, 
after 9-11 and that language came coming from the government, starting at the White House press room and out of just, if I don't want to answer your question, I'm not going to answer your question. Shut up. You know, I mean, in, in official ease version of that, it just, I don't know if this is, again, my imagination, but it seemed the tone of the, of the language changed. I got, I started getting weird vibes just in terms of the, the, the terminology that they would use. Like, I guess this would be more of a, a thing for like a linguistics professor to, to really say that, you know, yeah, is there a phrase? Is there is there some sort of standard kind of, I don't, you well, know, change, I can't just... Yeah, it would change kind of the one I said earlier was, you know, the relationship between our two companies. I don't think, I don't, I don't understand how you would think this wouldn't affect the relationship. Just the language became more sterile and more hmm. forceful, I guess, or more definite. And it just, for a little while, like I said, Mike and I had to talk about this. It just seemed like they were kind of picking up from you know, from the, the government sources at this time. I'm not talking, you know, September 12th. I'm talking just how I'm ha- how the total... The culture. Yeah, the culture changed. The relationship between and, between uh, media yeah, and yeah. and the people that hold, hold the information. Yep. The, the, yep. News, the news sources and the, and the news reporters trying to get to those sources. Exactly. And it just, you know, and it, it kind of went hand in hand with comics becoming, you know, much more valuable IP in the in the eyes of their parent companies and needed a much tighter control. And so it just everything kind of shifted over in that direction to it. Um I would point I would point again to the success of those movies. I mean and and it really did start the bomb rolling. I mean that's, you know, Avi Arad, I think yeah. when he's running Marvel at it, you know, at that peak. So certainly he's, you know, I think presenting much more of a corporate and business kind of front yeah. to it. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so I, I get it. I would say from a timing standpoint, yeah, you're right. Um, I'm, you know, that's before I started. Yeah. I started in 05. I'm so. sure there was, there was coincidence about it too, but it just, it was, we felt the shift move over and it was, you know, I guess everybody was just kind of growing yeah, up the business too. Cause honestly coming from sports prior to doing my podcasts and stuff, what I've noticed as it's gotten to be a more structured corporate world from, uh, the publishers and their media superiors, um, it reminds me of talking to somebody from a sports team yeah. where yep. you need the PR person on the phone at the same time yep. as opposed to uh, what I'm sure were the majority of your calls and certainly are the majority of mine, including this one, after hours. <laughs> hey, let's you know get together. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that you know about 90% of the guys are still available that way. Yeah. And girls uh, that come on, girls like because you know I'm an asshole. Uh, sorry, <laughs> women, the women. Uh, but yes, that those people come on word balloon and stuff. But yeah, there's there's still that corporate filter for the others. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, and like I said, it reminds me of sports. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly so, it. And like, yeah, like just to give an example that you were asking about before of just things like, you know, hey, we're running this story. Can I get a piece of art for that? You know, at the beginnings or the earlier days, it would be the yeah. Let me see. Hang on. Click click click. Yeah, okay, I just sent you something. You know, right, then it, right, right from the slowly, artist, exactly. Yeah, then it's slowly morphed into, hey, can I get some art for this? Uh, we don't have any approved for release yet. We don't have any, and right. the first look was already promised to these people, and I can check, but it has to go up through two layers ahead of me. Like, the, the one story I can remember, again, you'll think all my big stories or memories are Christmas-related. Um, back when um, Greg Rucka and Drew Johnson, Drew Johnson, yeah, we're doing Wonder Woman. Is that the right name? I know it's Greg. Um, 
but yeah, that, it was Greg and uh, um, oh damn it, uh, Drags wasn't it? Greg and Rags? No, 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 no. At the beginning, okay. beginning of his run, I think it was somebody. It was it wasn't Matthew Clark either. That was but anyway. Yeah, Matt Clark too. I yeah, he, about he was on there. But it was um, it was Christmas, and you know, Greg told me the story, and every, we got everything rolling, and you know, check with DC. DC's like, yeah, sure, that's great. We we really want to have that story out there. That's great. And uh, is there any art? No, we don't have any art. Okay. Hey, Greg, they say there's no art. Let me check with artist whose name we cannot remember. Um, right. And see, and he, the artist just drew something up, sketch page. You know, it was basically, it was like a, it was a nicely done con sketch quality type of thing. Um, but that was the picture. And he drew it that afternoon and the story went live the next morning. And, you know, that would never done. That would never happen. Can, can you imagine like putting New York Times best n- novelist on Wonder Woman? You know, first that would never be an online fan site exclusive story. Now that would be, you know, Entertainment Weekly. Okay, Entertainment Weekly is not interested. Let's go with uh, Wired. Okay, Wired's not interested. Let's go with BuzzFeed. Okay, BuzzFeed's going to bite. So we'll get them. And yeah, it's just the world shifted. Hey, I, uh, did you did you see the news on Friday as we're recording this? Because I'm sure I've uh, reflected on this in the intro. On uh, that, uh, the View and uh, the A Force. I didn't. I didn't realize it was announced on on the View. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't. It was uh, scheduled to be announced on the View, and it got bumped. Uh, the all female Avengers team. If yeah, people yeah, aren't, yep. no, I, well, yeah, I'm, I'm saying it for people who might be listening. But uh, depending on how I set this thing up, but anyway, uh, yeah. So that was. Uh, kind of egg on their face because there really was like this word of, hey, big announcement on The View connected to Marvel tomorrow. Stay tuned. Yep. And, yep. and, unfo- and But the other levers of, as you just pointed out, other blogs and, and USA Today stories all ready to roll at the touch of a button, they went ahead. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, The View, the view uh, it bumped, it got bumped yeah. from The View. Yeah. Towards the end of my run at Newsarama, we had some things like that where I think that was kind of mine and Mike's, you know, discussion we would call it discussion. I'm sure they would have called it argument with the publishers of, look, you can't guarantee that nothing's going to happen. You know, this is supposed to show up on some, you know, on some TV outlet. You can't guarantee. Cause even, you know, even the, the late night interview shows, they always have that go to guest in the green room, just sitting there just in case somebody, somebody doesn't show up, somebody runs short, somebody, you know, they need somebody else. Um, sure. And, and there were a couple times, big stories were supposed to go live on, with the reporter and didn't. And then, you know, just it kind of just got all hairy and complicated after that. <laughs> but, so were those contributing things that kind of burnt you out? You think? Yeah. Was it this change yeah. of the mark that really kind of soured you on, uh, on doing this anymore? It was, it was a couple things. It was the, the industry was changing. The industry was getting bigger um, and unfortunately just, this was how I saw it. The industry was getting bigger and having a wider reach, especially with media. And how I saw that was that Newsarama was going to become smaller to that. And yes, we'd still be going to our core audience, but it was, it was changing. It was shifting. And, you know, the lifespan of a lot of people in corporate structure, you know, I, I'd, I'd gone through a couple, I'd gone through a couple rounds and it just, you know, I'm talking to the third you now. I'm not, right, you know, when, after, when you realize what you spelled out. Yeah. In the past with you askew and, and yeah, fandom. And, yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, when you, when you end up talking, it's like, um, 
oh gosh, Patty Jarrett was a DC and that's who I came in with working in PR that she was working in PR and I would work with her all the time. And then it changed and then it changed and then it changed. And, you know, by the fourth change, it was just like, okay, I got to train you how to work with us and what we, how we work. And I know you're coming in with your own ideas about how this is going to work, but here's how it's been for the last six years. And hopefully we can keep it that way. And it just, it, that got to be kind of just wearing on me. Um, the big thing was honestly, and I, Oh, an apology to whoever out there is saying things like, you know, I told him that was going to happen was when we did, we sold to um, the space.com company innovation. Yeah. And uh, it was good for a while, but uh, I talked to, actually I talked to my brother-in-law who had started a couple companies and sold them. And the night that we had signed the deal and I got back from New York, I was talking to him on the phone and he goes, 18 months. I'm like, what? He goes, you'll be gone in 18 months. I'm like, why would you say that? I said, you're going to find out that working for somebody is much different than working when you own the company. Then being the boss is much different than working for the boss. I'm like, oh, ha, ha, ha. No, no, no. I think I was, uh, ultimately, I think it was 16 months <laughs> that it lasted. I'm not, yeah. It well, was, it was, uh, it was, you know, go into the corporate structure. And again, this was what, 2007, 2008. So we had all that stuff going, going down and changing on online publishing. And, uh, you know, we saw it just, it, 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 it was kind of frustrating from a variety of levels that here we were going from, you know, a mom and pop site that we ran, that my wife did the accounting. My wife dealt with the, the advertisers mm-hmm. had, you know, we, we our philosophy was we didn't because we came out of the VSQ thing where we had two advertisers and both of them pulled and we were rock bottom that we did not have one or two main pillars. We had at least 10 midsize accounts that we wanted. And then, you know, we could find other room here and there. And uh, so we had a really robust site that was making a good amount of money each month when, you know, basically it was being run out of our kitchen up here. The accounting was was done in the kitchen. Um, and then within like three or four months, they were telling us that, you know, the site's just, it's not even paying for itself anymore. Like, well, how many advertisers do we have? Well, all the other advertisers left. What, what did you do to them? And it just, you know, cause that was my wife who would work with the advertisers and, you know, well, what do you need? Okay. We need it here. Okay. We can put this in here. Um, this price, this is the price that we'll, we'll give you and we'll work it out and we'll make sure it all works. Not that we, not that everybody was getting like a personal deal or something, but it was, it was that human touch. Now that we switched it over to literally, you know, Park Avenue account executive assholes that, you know, suddenly were just like, Hey, uh, Beth Widera, Megacon, let me tell you how it's going to be. You used to have this banner for X amount of time for this much money here. You know, that's like, that's not even half the price. So you're going to have to double, triple, whatever. And just, you know, it, it, for our advertisers, it's lo- it lost that personal touch sure. immediately. And then, you know, to Mike and I's, Mike and my's chagrin, that transitioned into our fault somehow that the, the site wasn't paying for itself. And, and then just editorial kind of, and then of course we had the site redesign and then editorial got really kind of strange and we had layoff after layoff. To the point that I, it it would be, you, know, you come in, come in, uh, come down to my office 
on a Monday and hope that your password worked because that was how they let you know that you were laid off or fired. Jesus. And again, you know, it was 2008. So, mm-hmm. um, I had heard somebody that that's, that's what happened with them or they had called me or something. And, and I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. It was somebody else in the company. And I found out later that they were let go. And then there was one morning that my password didn't work. I came in, my password didn't work. And I called and I said, what the hell guys? And they're like, Oh, we just, we updated the system. So we're just resetting passwords now. So try it now. And it worked. All right. That worked. The, uh, but the, the, the really two things that did it for me were that, uh, um, the guy who was over us for editorial content, this was after we had a great guy that, you know, he, we butted heads, but end of the end of the day, he was probably the best, best editor I've ever worked with. And he got laid off of course. Um, and then we had the guy who was overseeing space.com now overseeing us as well. You know, all props to space.com, but, you know, we know what we're doing over here with right. Very different animal. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you don't have to convince me, man. Yeah. I wasn't a fan either. And so, and so he said he was, you know, basically just trying to throw any kind of content that would drive big numbers our way. And that wasn't, you know, numbers we did care about, but before it was just, you know, we'll do what we can do and whatever numbers happen, happen. And a lot of this will even itself out in the wash and it, and it didn't, it would. Um, but this guy said, you know, well, here's this, uh, you should do this article, do an article, look into an article on this. And it was, um, Pirates 2, Stagnetti's Revenge. Pirates 2 what? Stagnetti's Revenge. <laughs> it's a porno. Yeah, I was going to say, all right. Yep. <laughs> Sadly, that sounded familiar. They were... <laughs> <laughs> to the porn game. <laughs> but yeah, that was, um, it was either the first one or the second one was being shown like at colleges. And it was, you know, he as he that Jenna, Jenna Jameson movie, I believe. The what? Yeah. Isn't that Jenna Jameson? Boy, that's really sad. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How much do you know about this? Uh, that's as far as I, as far as I, my lawyer is allowed to. Uh, <laughs> Reporting from the AVNs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was either one or two that he said, you know, you guys, this is like right in your wheelhouse. You should really do a story on that. And I remember talking to Mike and I think the conversation went something like, what the hell is he talking about? Does he know it's a porn? And Mike saying, I don't think so. Just ignore it. And me saying, no, I'm going to email him back. Don't email him back. No, I'm going to email him back. Don't email him back. I want to email him back and ask him what the hell he thinks we're doing here. Don't email him back. So I didn't email him back. But at that point, it was just like, oh, this is no. So yeah. that was one thing of just, you know, the, 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 you know, the melody had clearly been lost. Yeah, and, the disconnect between the two companies, yeah. yes. And uh, then it was uh, – the other thing was I was covering – because um, um, I'm outside of – you know, I'm an hour and a half away from Charlotte, North Carolina. And so Heroes Con was the con in my backyard. Mm-hmm. We would go to that. We set up there. there. Uh, I don't know if you remember if you were in the year that um, Wizard tried to do Wizard World Atlanta. The same I remember year. that year. Absolutely. Go on. And we – and at that point, you know, that was the, okay, um, I've got, I've got a dog in this fight. I'm going to go for this. And we really, we did some good coverage on, you know, this is going to, 
This is the con that's been alive for 20 years. This is a brand new con. A lot of the guests and pros come from Atlanta and, you know, just laying it out. And we'd interview the cons like, you know, Cully Hamner, Brian Stelfreeze, Adam Hughes. And those was guys. It the same, was it the same weekend, Matt? I'm trying to remember weekend. the full detail. This it was, weekend. absolutely. And, and you know, now it's kind of an old story. But, yeah. yes, this was the be- this was Wizards for people who may not remember. Because we did cover this when other cons were, would happen and stuff. And yep. this is getting to when I was with uh, Newsarama. Yeah, it was a big deal then. It was uh, it was Shelton's show that was such a fan friendly and and entertainment or rather industry uh, driven show where everyone really loved the yeah. show and everything it didn't I'm didn't a, feel like yeah it was wrong it was just wrong to yeah. to have that kind of direct competition the very same weekend in the tri-state area yeah yeah and so we went we we covered that thoroughly we covered all sides of that we kind of we did as much as we could we sniffed around um, in doing so we found out some some of the dirty stuff that was going on well quote-unquote dirty stuff that was going on at Wizard. I guess for Wizard, it was just business as usual. But when anybody else heard about it, it was like, holy crap. They uh, just, uh, I think that led to the, uh, the that they were promoting a book, you know, Shades of Their Valiant Days, where they were promoting a book and saying this is going to be the next hot book and their price guide was ramping it up and then their store was ramping it up and yep. all that kind of stuff just started yeah. coming to the light. And as a result, that was that was the best year Sheldon had at that show in many, many years. I think that was the one that you had or we had on that thread. It was just one of those, you know, you asked for good memories. It was that show, that year that that happened because we just had all these all these pros just showing up on the thread, registering to comment and just saying, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Just Yeah, it was a, a George Bailey. It's a wonderful life moment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The names were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it was just like Warren Ellis came on and said, I'll be there. And yep. everyone just went, wah, wah. And <laughs> so that was, and that was the year then I think, I think she, my wife and I, cause I think Mike was out by that at that point, my wife and I sent Sheldon or I called him and said, Hey, could we get a, before it all your floor space goes up, could we get a little booth? And he's like, you can have a booth for everything that you did for this show. You can have a booth. And with my thanks. And so we set up there that year and had set up years after that. And we kind of set ourselves up that I would do interviews there. We would host signings there, kind of the FON, uh, FON, Friends of Newsarama, you know, the people that would always be doing interviews on Newsarama, you could find them there doing signings. Um, a couple years uh, where Dan DiDio came down, that was, you know, our booth was his home away from home that he would just stay there for a while and just, you know, so it was a good, good time. And then when we were bought, of course, there was no money and no understanding. Why would we do that? Why would we set up in this little podunk show? And is it Charlotte? Is that? I don't know that city name because it's not in the boroughs. And uh, and so that was like the, the first year I had gone and we weren't set up. And so that was just kind of sad. Um, and I couldn't get – I couldn't shake any money out of them because you know – when you know you'd cover cons, we'd find the money and we'd pay for the extra coverage and things like that. And I, you know, can I get some money to cover to pay some stringers? No. Why would you need money to cover what's going to be said there? Okay. And so I yeah. busted my ass going yeah. panel to panel to panel to panel. Yeah, yeah you'd be wall to wall in the panel. Yeah. So you might be lucky if Vanita was willing to like cover some panels yeah, or whatever. Might might be at the same show. And uh, and so I'd be on all these panels. 
And I, I think one of them was, uh, what was it? Longbox.com was presenting how they were going to be the new online comics reading service. Yes, this is back pre-comicsology. Yep, Go on. Yep, and they were, and they announced, they kind of gave this build up to, you know, you can't have comic, you can't have comics without having a comic news partner, and so we're going to partner with the best comic news website out there, the only one that really makes it relevant and really clearly loves this industry, and that's why we've partnered with CBR. And I'm sitting in the audience, just going, "What the? I did, I didn't even know this was an option." And so, despite that, I reported on that, reported cleanly on that. Had a, I was moderating a panel for Sheldon, and the panel kind of went south because somebody decided to take some good old fun swings at Newsrama comment boards. And despite that, I kept working. I kept going to panels. And I thought, at the end of the day, I thought I had the best coverage. Newsrama had the best coverage. We had good stories. We had good exclusives. We had good interviews from the con. I worked myself to death. Came home Sunday night, got everything kind of squared away to start on Monday. Get online on Monday with the office in New York. We got to cut our budget by a third. What? Yeah, we got to cut the budget by a third. So here's what you can do. You can either tell everybody that you can you can cut everybody's budget by a third or you can pick like three people and just let them go. And so at that point, I mean, Vanita, and I'm not sure if that was, and I apologize if it was, I'm not sure if that's the wave that you got caught in or something like that. But all these other folks that we, you know, employed for, not that we were paying anybody a full salary, but we'd employed them for, you know, I think Vanita was probably the longest there. Um, You know, at that point, what, six, six, seven years? You know, we knew each other's names of our kids and sure. spouses and what yeah. we did and where we lived and, and stuff like yeah. that. And, and you know, to these guys, then it was just like, you got to let them go. But they're, yeah, I don't care. You got to let them go. What, yeah. what can you do? You got to save money. You got to save money. And uh, I thought about it for a couple of days and I talked to my wife about it. And at that point, she'd been, um, my wife had been a, uh, a lab manager at Wake Forest University, which is here in town. And she had um, quit that and gone into teaching science in middle school. Uh, lateral entry is what they called it because you weren't you weren't going back to school because you had enough science education. You just needed to kind of fill in some holes in your in your classes. And so you could come in as a teacher right away. Okay. And she really, really enjoyed that. And I had always thought, you know, I wanted to go back to teaching. That was kind of what helped get me out of graduate school along with magazine writing was that my advisor and I had a very different view on the importance of teaching and kind of paying it forward and going back and, you know, making sure that there were scientists and people interested in science to to fill the holes. Um, and so I had thought, you know, maybe in a couple of years, maybe two or three years more with, uh, with uh, Newsarama, I'll kind of fade out and, and go into teaching because my wife was, like I said, was really enjoying it. So go back to the June and all this happened. And again, this was on building and building with everything else and them mm-hmm. saying, well, you got to say, you know, you got to cut a third, you got to cut a third. And I was off for a day. And I think I told Mike first, I said, I figured out how to save, save money on the, on the budget. And he just kind of, to his credit, he knew what I was going to say. He said, no. And yep, I'll leave. You take my salary, spread it around, keep it, keep it going as best you can. It's time for me to go. Wow. And so 
I went and it was, you know, I could tell that it wasn't, you know, they weren't, they were upset that I was going, but at the same time, I mean, they were just so strapped for cash that it was like, okay, that, that would do it. And so I left and applied. This was like June, end of June that year. Then my wife and I spent, it was our anniversary. We spent our anniversary driving from high school to high school, dropping off my resume at every high school. I was like, wait, it's my wow. anniversary. And I think I heard back, mm, I think I was totally unemployed for three days. And I heard back from a school that wanted to hire me. So wow. that was pretty nice. But excellent. But the best part of that, that whole affair was that I was quitting before San Diego and I didn't have to go out to San Diego. So. <laughs> Remember you saying that <laughs> in my uh, yeah in your farewell? Absolutely, man. That the the funniest thing is if you oh, that's if awesome. If you Google my name and Newsarama, I think like because what shortly after I left, we were hacked by Russian Islamic pirates or something. That I don't know why they would take down a comic book website, but they clearly investors in pirates. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And we're still mad that you didn't give it the coverage, but go on. <laughs> problem. Would have made the difference. Go on. Stagnetti. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they destroyed the database. And so, you know, 10 years or eight years worth of work. Cause we scrupulously yeah. kept that stuff up. And yes, you did. I, I was writing two, three, four, five articles a day. And sometimes yes, like did. three or four features a day. And that's just gone. And but if you yes. if you Google my name and Newsarama, you will find "Hello, I Must Be Going," which is my horrible Phil Collins reference, but it's my farewell address. That somehow, of all the things, that's what stayed on there. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> Jesus, man! No, I know that I, I caught the Phil reference right away. Sadly, <laughs> I'm a Phil. I was a Phil fan. Uh, pre pre Susu Studio. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> Susu Studio makes Phil fans. Oh, <laughs> beginning of the end, no jacket required, but that's okay. Anyway, no, I, uh, I was, I, I, as you know, Matt, I mean, uh, I was really sad. I, and we all were, uh, be, we enjoyed working with you and, and had a blast and also missed your, uh, I think critical voice as well, frankly, I'll say that as a reader, uh, and, and I mean it. And I do think it's something that Bendis and I have talked about a lot on Newsarama or on Newsarama on, on Word Balloon, <laughs> uh, but the loss of real a lot of long form content uh, at the at the current comic blog news websites. Yeah, if there if there's some still there, it doesn't seem like there is the volume that was there uh, during you know your your prime yeah. years. I would say, and that's yeah, that was the stuff that I would love to do of just get into it with the guys and and. What are, women? Uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that ladies you know, exactly women. would uh, you know just really dig, take deep dives into this stuff. You know, if not, yes. if not, voice a voice interview um, by email and just really, really get into it. But, but like I said, it was there were so many signs that it was just. And my wife would tell me, she's just like, "You're not, you're not happy anymore." And it was true. It was just, it was there was a, a New York con. I think it was when they moved it. What, did they start in spring and then moved it to fall? I think it was the last the last it was in it was in it was in late winter yeah. initially and then it was in the spring and then yeah it moved to fall. But it was a, right. it was the last year that they were in um spring spring. That was 08, I want to say. Okay, that would be it. Yep. That I was up yep. there and I remember I was and you probably won't won't mind that I name check him, but I was walking around with with uh, Charles Brownstein as they were setting up the con. 
And I was just kind of looking around and saying, I got to leave. I got to leave. This is killing me. And he was just, you know, really? I said, I'm, you know, I was kind of telling him my days of what the next few days of the con were going to be like, because, you know, they're, the budget was smaller and I had to do so much more of the work and just all that stuff going on. And I remember like, you know, looking at one of these, you know, looking at a display and I just remember it's like there are tears in my eyes and I'm like, Holy crap. I really need to go. I, this is done. I gotta, I gotta. And that was, that was spring of that summer. I was gone. And. Oh, so then maybe it was, then it was 09 because I remember you at WonderCon. Oh. And you were pretty, you were pretty wiped out at WonderCon. And in fact, I remember you like. I don't think I left a day early there because there was like a threat of snow. I'm like, no, nah, it's good enough for me. I'm up. And. <laughs> well, what I do remember was you were telling me, and it's, and again, now it's commonplace for this to happen, but that um, Marvel was going to release a bunch of number ones at the beginning of, I forget what month, it must have been May or whatever. And you're like, we've got to write reviews on all of these. <laughs> all of these. <laughs> 40 something number ones yeah. are you kidding me yeah and it you know it's just like what are we doing and i was just like yeah man i go but you know that's the gig right yeah. and you're like <sighs> you know, like white knuckle you yeah. poor guy you went from pale to clear yeah. as uh as bill murray says about larry bird in uh space jam but it's true man no i know and uh, and that's why as i'm like i was sad but i was like i you know i i guess i saw it coming because of the, of the state of mind you were in. And I know you're, 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 you know, happier and calmer yeah. and stuff. Did, did the things though that happen now that it is a bigger arena, it does, it, is there ever an itch of, boy, I'd really like to no. get back. No, 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 no. Cause I've had, I've had it. I've had that question from friends before. Uh, I had somebody dangle money in front of me before to start up a site and do news. <laughs> Are you nuts? But no, it's it's too big. It would be too much work. The traveling was fun, but you know it was what six eight years ago. I was a younger man then. Still, sure. I just my sure. values have changed. I just I like. I understand. You know, and it's part of the job now too. Is just I I like being home, and I really enjoy just that was fun. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade ninety percent of it for the world. Um, but now. Now I'm I'm good to say I did that and that was a big part of my life and I will always remember it and I'll always you know have the friends that I had and but no nope, don't need to go back but that's not how many kids? I can look at I can look at all the news now and probably you know maybe aside from say Jonah and Albert Ching and you and maybe a few others here and there probably there's a small handful of us that look at the news, quote unquote news and kind of see right through it and go, Oh, I know what's going on here. <laughs> I can see the power play. What happened here? I can see who won. I can see who lost and, you know, and everyone else will catch up, but I can see what happened, you know, and like new 52, you know, I think now everybody can pretty much see, put the pieces together of what happened. I was saying this for what three years now, or not saying it to anybody because no one was listening to me. But I, I could see, I, you could see who won, who lost, who was involved with the fight, and it, it yeah, I, it's I can see the news behind the news, and that makes it still kind of interesting. Well, and uh, and uh, not having that, I mean, forum to discuss it. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that doesn't interest you. I mean, it's it's okay enough that you're, you're content with the news because I I. 
I think it's interesting to kind of still make it part of the conversation. And I guess that's, and of course, you know, I've only been doing, I've only been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. This, this is my 10th year. Well, I know. And, and, um, the way that the story has evolved, I find interesting and it's tough. It is tougher. It's tougher to cover now. Um, it's tougher to have the, the, the conversations with the people in power and get them to answer an, an, an awkward question. Oh yeah. But phrase it, you know, for me, it's still exciting to find that right set of words. Cause I always, I always default back to sportscaster Jim Gray who would ask the most inelegant questions and toughest questions of sports people, uh, embarrass Pete Rose at the 99 all-star game and ask him, you know, why should the fans, you know, want you back, you know, and great. You made the all century team, but you know, is the stain of your betting on baseball still part of the conversation? Wrong place, wrong time. Did the same to the point where Mike Tyson Fresh from rape conviction, it's like you know that was very disrespectful what you said to Pete Rose. I just want to when Mike Tyson oh, yeah. is correct your etiquette, you should check yourself. Yeah, that was Jim Gray, but that's why it's fun but, to find the, the the stuff they can talk about. Sure, and 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 get their you know as much as they're able to say. Sure, and this is this is but this is one of those things that I again I am so envious of Jonah uh, and CBR that you know he and I had some talks. Shortly after I left, and he was telling me some of the kind of the shenanigans that were going on, and his reactions to them, and even then, I'd I'd been out, but his reaction to it and my reaction to it were still completely opposite. I was freaking out on his behalf, and he was just like, eh, "If it doesn't work out, it's fine. I'll I'll find stories elsewhere." Right. And you know, you know, I've 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 heard the thing before that you said um, about you know asking the you know, speak truth to the people in power and all that stuff. And you just, you have the access to them and you keep asking, you keep asking. The person is going to say no and will say no over and over again. And then when they, you continue to ask, you're the asshole then to them. And you may not be the asshole to your internet followers or fans or people on the site, but you're the asshole to this person in a position of power with this company that can make a decision of we're done with you. And you know, it's, it's not like, it's not like, okay, well, we'll just play it cool with the, 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 you know, Pete Rose for a little while and we'll get all these other stories from somewhere else. It's still comics is still a small industry. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, I, I know I can acknowledge that people had problems with Newsarama's coverage while I was running it. Um, but still, you know, outside of the honestly, you think I mean because really the one more day flap I really felt was you know oh well I mean there were there were there was that there were you know there were virtually you know daily things if we weren't being called a shill for DC we were being called a shill for Marvel if we weren't being called a shill for Marvel we were calling a shill for DC well, yeah but that's but that should show you too that likely you know I mean and again I it's just that whole nature of the horse race yeah still just is like, whatever. I mean, you know, it's like, which is what I was going to say about before that when you said that everyone was still friends, yourself, Jonah, yeah. you know, Jan Contino, et cetera. Yeah, of course, because everyone has, there's enough room for more than one point of view or two points of view. And certainly I, I believe the publishers when they say, yeah, great. That's great that they've have, are having success. Excellent. You know, we've got our own company to worry about, and it's, we're not in competition with them. We're in, they are, but they're not. I mean, it's still – there's room on the shelf for both of these things and really even more. And that's, that's what makes I think right now so interesting oh, yeah. with the opportunities that 
a lot of the second and third tier publishers. And then, of course, the, the creators themselves through Kickstarter and some of the other avenues and stuff. That's what makes it an interesting time as well. Right. It does. That's a different. It does. Field. It's but it, it and yeah, sure. Now it is. But then, you know, it, it was a tougher argument to sell me on that. I understand. Of, no, and you're right. Well, that's what I want to ask about is the changes. This and, was, and like, yeah, you know, this was this wasn't, you know, this was like ABC News kind of screwing up or, or revealing something that the White House, White House didn't want said. And, you know, the analogy would be the White House picks up their phone that says government on it and says no one else talks to ABC News ever. Click. And from a DMV to the Pentagon to the caterer at the banquet coming up at the Lincoln Memorial, no one talks to ABC News. So ABC News now starts covering what? And to me, you know, rightly or wrongly, occasionally that was the choice that was presented to me. Of, the threat. Yeah. yeah. And like I said. The threat of non-access. Right, right. And I know um, I know Jonah rode through one of those with the with the point of view of they'll be back. And they were, and they were. And Joan and I are made out of different things. Cause like I said, I, I kind of went through that and I think we, you know, found a compromise where we had to, but mm-hmm. there were some, there were some rough decisions that had to be made. And Mike and I didn't always agree on everything on coverage. And it was, you know, it was, we had, you know, you have number, you have things that would happen regularly that would generate big numbers. And uh, you could have someone threatening to take that, that stuff away, and that took your big numbers. And your advertising dollars are dependent on your big numbers. And so, you know, do you, do you make a stand for this, or do you go, well, this whole thing is kind of silly anyway, so how about we find some middle ground here and figure out what we can do? You know, it, it's, I guess it's the, you know, the, the problem that any small business owner deals with you know, my, sure, my judgment was probably clouded in a lot of things, but it was clouded by you, Vanita, um, Zach Smith, um, Chris, and, you know, everybody else who had worked or been with us for years, was I going to make decisions, you know, that were going to negatively impact you? And, I hear you. and, you know, it's one of those things that people would say, well, you shouldn't own, you shouldn't have done this. And maybe not, but, you know, it, it that was always, in the back of my mind, like I said, it, it, Newsarama wasn't paying full time for anybody, but I look at my numbers and think, you know, could I could I lose X amount of money a month just have it disappear? And you know, my answer was always no. So how could I do that to somebody else, or how could I make a decision where that could be the result of that decision? So, like I said, I I don't think, and again, readers' mileage will vary. I don't think I bowed or kowtowed to the publishers um, rather than reach compromises, which perhaps, again, people will look at in different lights than I do. But I did what I did. I felt there was a reason to do what I did when it came to that kind of stuff. But I'm not talking about, you know, every single day I had to make a decision on do we do a review about, you know, Wonder Woman's whatever, or do we keep it quiet? You know, this wasn't every day that I had to worry about things like that. Sure. No, I understand. But well, and I go it, it was certainly what kind of helped me lose my taste for it. Was I can appreciate those, that. No, and I, and especially like I said, that last decision of 
you got to cut a third of your staff or a third of your budget somehow. Well, here's how I'm going to do it. Yeah. 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 Well, I, uh, I understand and I'm glad you're in a, you're in a better place and I know you're very happy teaching and how many kids have you got right now? Um, I teach three classes right now in spring semester. It is two of physical science and one of honors chemistry. Wow. So yeah, that's excellent. Well, and like you said, uh, dealing with internet trolls has prepared <laughs> you for speaking to, uh, to your, uh, your, your body of students. So that's very cool. And I weird them out because I know so compared to their other teachers, I know so damn much about popular culture and we have, we'll have long talks or like sometimes somebody will say, do you like Marvel or DC better? And we'll go to it and I'll, I'll say, but if you don't, it's, it's hard to compare and DC are kind of more godlike. Cause if you look at them and just go into this, you know, kind of, a-level stuff that us, us nerds will talk about all the time in comics. And to these students, it's just like, this is the first time they've ever kind of thought about, you know, well, Spider-Man has a, has a you know, has that death of Uncle Ben kind of just fueling him. And Thor has those issues with his father. And Captain America is lonely. And all his friends are dead. And the Hulk is rage. And Tony Stark built a shell around himself so he wouldn't have to... De- Holy crap. And it's just, it's fun to see those kids kind of just like think about that for the first time and, you know, have these kind of eye opening experiences where they're realizing there might be more to this. But then at the same time, I can, you know, we can talk about any kind of uh, what's better, who can, who could win a fight thing or hope. <laughs> you made allusions to obviously knowing. Uh, on the on the business side, who winners and losers are, and some of the changes that happen at the publishers and stuff. As a fan, what do you think of what might be coming with uh, Convergence and Secret Wars? Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> or do you give a shit? Yeah, I started making that noise and thought that sounds too negative, so I got to try to make it sound butthead. Now sound like I'm having a stroke. Um. <laughs> it sounds like a butthead kind of. Oh. <laughs> well, like like I said, I can. I, I, I can see the reasons. I think I can see reasons. Um, I think I can see, you know, winners and losers. I don't, you caught me in a weird place. Cause what do I want to say? Cause do I want to say things that would make sure that if someone from Marvel or DC listened to this, I would never, ever get a job working there, you know, doing a, you know, I look at, um, Oh gosh, the one that, uh, it's interesting who you're kind of you're envious of changes. Um, who just got announced writing Superman? You're a Gene. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, yes. He's he's an educator. He's a mm-hmm. I believe he's math teacher or is an administrator now. I forget which he is now. That one just made me insanely jealous. That wait a minute, I'm a teacher too. Can I have the Adam series or something? But then again. <laughs> It's one of those things, as, as Paul Levitz would say, you know, you know how the sausage is made. And so, you know, I can say, man, I would love to write an Adam series and I have the science chops to be able to do it. But um, I think I would buy one. And, well, I have a guaranteed sale of one. That's how many people would buy an Adam series. Especially <laughs> written by me. I'm, I have no name. But, yeah, I don't know. I can see a lot of these things and I can I can come up with the, you know, the asshole snark that any fan would say. I have my I I I think I can kind of feel why they did it and the pressures that are pushing them to to go one way or the other. Um 
I, I, but again, I will always question the judgment of large groups of people called corporations on if they truly know much of anything of the people that they're trying to entertain or sell things to. So, yeah. All right. Well, you know, I, so pulling it back to your writing career, Mm -hmm. like you, do you, would you, are you content? Like what, what after, um, big con job would you like to pursue next? I have a couple, a couple stories I want to pitch. Um, you know, I'd love to stay at boom for a little while. Um, some neat kind of sci-fi stuff that I'd like to, to get, um, working with them. But then again, you know, I, I, I grew up with DC um, I'd love, love, love to play around with the, the science guys in DC with Firestorm or with the Adam or Captain Adam or something like that. Um, Marvel, I really, I'm a, I, I find myself as, it's weird. I find myself as a fan of Marvel and a fan of DC, but I'd rather, you know, get in and get my hands dirty in DC. Whereas with Marvel, I just really, really enjoy a lot of what they're doing. Um, and I can't think of anything where I could just jump in and go, oh, this would be fun to play here. Um, but, you know, like I said, DC doesn't have an Atom series going on. So <laughs> Last good one was Jeff Lemire. Yeah. Scientist is a superhero. Yep. Where could you go wrong with that? I don't think you can. So. Well, and, and as we're seeing it develop on Arrow, who's to say that uh, – or, yeah, yeah it's Arrow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, was going to say, no, it's The Flash. Yeah. No, it is Arrow. Uh, yeah, you know, who's to say that uh, – we're, we're that far away from a an, a reborn Adam uh, right. series and stuff. Right. So, what do you think of the the whole? Uh, because I've I've posed this to a couple of the industry people, Brevoort, Loeb, and Bendis lately. But as an observer, what do you think of uh, as the movies and the television shows become more part of the mainstream? How they impact the comics and that whole cycle and stuff. I mean, I, I it's I I find it interesting. I don't have a judgment on it. But I think it's cool that, you know, all of a sudden, because certainly when the new 52 started, it didn't seem like young Ollie was going to work. Mm-hmm. And then, and Arrow has certainly taken off to the point now where obviously uh, it's corrected itself on television a lot faster than it did in the comics. Lemire, uh, notwithstanding, he did a great job, but there really were a bunch of awkward steps for about a year and a half before we got to Lemire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Again, it's what I, I probably most of my opinion on this is linked to my time spent in the sausage factory, where I can see why they're doing it and understand why they're doing it. Um, they needed a bigger audience. They need a bigger audience. They need more fan recognition or you know recognition of the the character as IP. Um, and so I can understand what they're doing. Um, I still am conflicted. Like with, uh, you know, if we're talking DC, I'm still conflicted with the whole uh, new 52 because, you know, without too much of a change, the Superman that went away before new 52 started had been around. I mean, I think without argument, too much of an argument, you could say he he was the same Superman that John Byrne touched in 86. And, you know, you look at it that way, it's like that was a Superman that I had, that was the only Superman, you know, that was a Superman that was my Superman. That was a Superman that when I was in high school, he was, you know, he's, he's mid thirties and he's always going to be a little bit older than me. And then, you know, I grew up and, and I suddenly found myself as old and then older than that Superman. <laughs> and now that, but then with the new 52, it's like, no one's going to wear that collar, dude. No, one's gonna, <laughs> come on. who wears anything like that besides 
strange people. And so, you know, that kind, that kind of stuff, I, I you know, it, it, it's, I think that, I think it's the fan inside of me that looks at that, some of that and just goes, that's just change for change. That's just change to get people looking at Superman rather than, you know, something that was necessarily needed. Um, but as, Which is why I believe that aesthetic will eventually correct itself. I think it will. You look around yeah, at the license. I don't think the, most of right. the license material hasn't hasn't picked up on that look. Um, That's right. You get people to come in and do special covers. I got uh, Justice League 33 in front of me, the Darwin Cook cover. And he's doing, yeah, he's doing his take on him. But, you know, I can't imagine Darwin Cook will ever draw the Mandarin collar on. Or the, <laughs> the fingerless gloves or stuff like that. You know, it's... It's so anyway, I guess getting back to your question, um, I thought I wouldn't like it. I thought I wouldn't like the idea as much. And I know I'm not going to be, you know, not that fans ever agree 100 percent. But boy, the one that really kind of shook me and made me see this is kind of neat is what, you know, Jeff and company are doing with the TV series of Flash. I, you know. I grew up with Wally and sure. when, when Barry came back, I was like, come on, do we really need, all right, I guess he's all right. And then all the things that, that he was doing with, you know, reverse flash and make you a better hero. I kind of rode along with it and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't until I saw that, you know, basically his ideas fed right into the flash TV show and just how good that could be and how neat that could be. And now it's just like, their idea for Firestorm, I kind of, I kind of like. You know, yeah. I, 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 I like the original Ronnie and Professor Stein. Sure. Back when Jerry Conway did it, but I kind of can get behind this. And you know, of course, with everything else, with with the different, you know, racial makeup they're bringing into it, finally into the, you know, into the DCU um, through the through the TV avenue, I'm good with that. Too, mm-hmm. I, I can I can see why they're doing it, and I can kind of enjoy it as well. Not kind of, I really enjoy it. Um, and of course, you know, in my soft spot, what they're doing on Arrow with uh, with the Atom, like make it work, just make it work, make it cool, and make it work, and that's going to be awesome. And I'm with you. You know, explain it, explain it, and show it in a way that that works. Um, on the Marvel side of things. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I love. I love. And I love how they're, you know, and especially, oh, my gosh, Agent Carter. Agent Carter's amazing. I mean, I I like S.H.I.E.L.D. a lot, and it really has improved in the second season even more. But, my God, I love Agent Carter. Go on. Just, you know, the idea that you you, we always heard, it's growing up as fans, you know, you always had that, oh, well, we had, uh, what, Star Trek The Next Generation to work with between the movies um, towards the end there. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there was supposed to be always supposed to be some kind of star Wars TV series that would fill in. And, you know, you, you, we heard it and the promises were never delivered for so long that when we heard it with, you know, that, that Marvel was going to try it with agents of shield. I think everybody was just like this one. Holy crap. And I mean, it's so good. And, you know, to see that, okay, they are moving, the direction of the comics towards that, towards agreeing with, with what's going on there. I can live with that too. I see the need. I see the reason, you know, I, I think the argument fans will be fans, of course, but I think the argument that you're going to make that is always going to win that Disney or Marvel is going to make is a lot of people 
saw Avengers. A lot of people are going to see Avengers 2. We'd like to have something for them that is recognizable. Not, you know, not the day after Age of Ultron ends, but something that they can recognize everyone. Hey, look, there's Sky. Hey, look, there's Ward. Hey, look, there's Coulson. Cap is acting like Cap. And I guess, you know, as, an, as a company that owns IPs, isn't that what you want? You want your IPs to agree across all your forms, which I guess takes us back to DC. And then you, you know, Flash and Arrow who are, what was it? Um, Steven, how do you say his last name? Amel or Amel? Um, who plays? Ollie. Yeah. Who plays Ali? I, I don't know how to say he, his name. Shame. About he, me. I, I saw don't. not too long ago. He was posting on Facebook and he and I are close Facebook friends with thousands of other people. But um, he has posted there that he kind of was griping a little bit. And again, Knowing the inside, it was before the PR told him to shut up, but he was griping just a little bit about how this Justice League franchise that Warner's is building up to, he's not going to be Arrow. Yeah, and he and the kid and the Flash kid isn't going to be the Flash. Yeah, yeah, and you could and I can see that of just like you know what it was a long it's going to be a long time between Batman and Superman or the the. Superman and Batman Justice Begins and somebody has to keep carrying the torch and we're going to have what another season of Arrow and another season of Flash before we get to it keeping this idea of a coherent DC universe alive and you know how do you how do you thank these guys and this team that works on those TV shows oh well here's the guy who signed for a multi-picture deal to be the Flash thanks I mean if you were you know if you were Grant Gustin just to check out the, the trades and see that Again, I have no idea, and then he'd never say anything like this. But wouldn't it be just kind of like, huh? I've been Barry Allen since Barry Allen was appearing on TV, and I have a well-rated show and a well-regarded show, and my show gets reviewed favorably in every issue, or not every issue, but on Playboy.com by the guy that really Mark Bernardin. <laughs> well, no, Mark Wade. Wade. Oh, I didn't realize Mark's doing that for Playboy. That's fantastic. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. See, I'm too busy watching porn movies. Yeah. I don't yeah. go to porn sites. So, Shame so, on My Pirates cool. 2 DVD is worn out. <laughs> so, clearly. But I, so, I guess getting back to the big – my feelings are they're, – they're, they lean towards – I can see what they're doing, but, you know, it's not a perfect – it's not a perfect match with uh, with everything, but – well, all right, but this – and this was my other question to everybody, and I want your, your thoughts because it's a problem that doesn't have to happen uh, – well, actually, you've just laid it out um, as people think of the actors as the characters more so than characters first. Um, we're we're going to see a different person play Barry Allen Flash possibly, or maybe they'll sidestep it and make it some – maybe they'll make it Wally. Maybe they'll make it a different Flash. I don't know, but my bigger question is – and I and I use Marvel as the example. Robert Downey Jr. is pretty much Iron Man. Are we going to see our Robert Downey be the way Shatner was with Kirk up until finally we got Chris Pine in 2009? And, I mean, how willing will an audience be to accept a new Iron Man in this tight-knit Marvel continuity? You know, I mean, how or is the more likely possibility that you might pass the legacy on and that you'll still be able to have Robert Downey as a 70 year old Tony Stark, but somebody else will be wearing the armor and maybe in the comic books we'll have somebody else finally be Iron Man that, beyond a couple of years of roadie. Yeah, that's going to be the question. That's going to be the question that that 
Marvel the and publisher will face. Yeah. bigger Disney is going to have to face. Um, yes. I thought, I thought the idea that I haven't read all the back background on, you know, where the, where it came from, but the, I thought the idea of cap and Iron Man and civil war for cap three was a genius way to keep, um, Robert Downey Jr. around as, as Iron Man without getting him to commit to a whole other movie, um, which, you know, was years of lifetime there. Uh, bigger workload, absolutely. Yeah, much yes. bigger workload. Yeah, people, see, people don't understand that. I'm glad you point that out. Go on. But yeah, how he just, you know, he tags on to that one and keeps himself as the character alive. And I guess as, you know, Marvel can use that as a barometer. And not that I think there's any question. People want more Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. They want as much as they can get because, you know, that's, that's who he is. But, um, I think well I think I think we're a couple of years or a few years away from finding that out. Um, right. Uh what X-Men Age of Apocalypse has already announced they're recasting all those characters. Right. Um, right. Hugh Jackman he says he does. I don't know if he has another Wolverine left in him cuz he's getting weird creepy skin lines that you know being <laughs> mid 40s myself I know where those are coming from and what they're going <laughs> Right. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, Harrison Ford, thankfully, in Ford, didn't embarrass himself. When? You know, I mean. When? In Crystal Skull? Yeah. He didn't embarrass himself? All right. I don't blame him for its flaws. Hey, Harrison Ford got bills to pay, too, I guess. I don't know. I don't, and that's fine, no, and that's fair, no, I, I guess. No, I, I mean, man, it's not an absolute. There's no absolute, so it's okay. Yeah, I, I, can guess, I that. guess he was. I can see what you're saying. The the character he he was how he needed to be he was it was settling down for him so yeah but yeah i don't i mean well my solution for uh, and it's funny now hearing that chris pratt is possibly in the running and even before that when they mentioned bradley cooper possibly being indiana jones i'm like i got no problem with that i really felt the stroke of genius to kind of keep the franchise going and giving yourself more time to consider somebody else for a reboot i'm like Hire Sean Patrick Flannery. He's, yeah. He was young Indiana Jones. Yeah. Now he's age appropriate. Let him be at least for one movie. Yeah. Let him have an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And the, I think the fans would go nuts. Yep. Yep. The hardcore ones and everyone else would be like, all right. See, Indiana Jones is a whole other beast because you have a window that, you know, who's true. Is the audience, how many right. adventures can he go on in, in that time, that kind of golden age there? Before, you know, if if they would have put Shia LaBeouf in as the next indie, which would have been a bad choice. But, Real you know, into the 50s, what's he looking for? You know, Junior Jones and Buddy Holly's guitar or something. It's just. It, oh, I think you could. No, I think you go on with the science fiction tropes or, or, or other action adventure possibilities. And certainly, I mean, they hinted at. Indiana Jones's OSI background in the oh, 40s. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could turn Indiana Jones into a Cold War. Oh sure, Bond, Bond sort of uh, character think, and stuff. Yeah, if they want to. that stuff, well, it's yeah. Then you're talking about the whole novel line that was all referenced there. Is was it his Air Force rank and things like that were referenced in the movie? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But getting back to the getting back to the. Uh, the Marvel question or the DC Marvel. question too. It's like, like yeah, can any? What I said to the guys were. For 70-plus years, of course Bruce Wayne is Batman. Of course Clark Kent is Superman. Who else would it be? But now Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. You know, um, Chris Evans is Captain America. And, you know, 10 or 15 years down the line, 
what do you do? I mean, you know, what, what happens? And again, there have been precedents of Rhodey becoming Iron Man for a while in, in Iron, you know, in the comics. But yeah, it's like, what is, is, are we at a point now where the publisher would consider, you know, the way that they did it during the Silver Age of, okay, Barry Allen's a Flash now, not Jake Eric anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, like I said, we're going to find out. I mean, we're, we're going to find out with, with, you know, we'll see the reception to Batman as, uh, Affleck as Batman. I think he'll be fine. Uh, he's still Bruce Wayne, though. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the stronger question would have been if they continued yeah. with. Uh, I got you now. Yeah, but you know, if it would have been uh, what's his face's uh, character from uh, the third uh, Nolan movie, yeah, if he had continued yeah. his back. Yeah. So basically, will we see these continue on like uh, Grant Morrison's dream of DC Comics? What DC Comics should have become in the you know early two thousands. Late '90s, early 2000s. Of this is the generation of Kyle and Wally and right and Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Donna Troy. I don't think they will. I don't think the movies will. I think the movies. I think uh, Tony Stark. I mean, I think we. Have, Iron Man will always be Tony Stark. We had James Bond, who you know, James Bond technically has known Queen Elizabeth for how many years now? As an old <laughs> fifty years and you know, sixty years. Yeah. Young, young woman. Um, I don't. I think it'd be silly. They. I think they're. I think if they did, if the movies did, they would have to. They'd be looking at a reboot down the road. Of okay, let's start again with Tony Stark. I think they would run into exactly the same problems. Of Iron, you know, whatever you do with a replacement for Iron Man, I'm going to put you in the suit, and you know, we're going to have the the teacher student movie and the teacher student story, and I. I think they're they're just gonna. I would put my money that they'll just replace that okay. Iron Man. What was it? Mark Wahlberg saying that he could do Tony Stark. Of course, Mark Wahlberg. Hey, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd have no problem with Mark Wahlberg as Tony Stark. Well, in a different world, that's all right. <laughs> and Earth Two, I'm sure that's happening right now. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I think I think they'll I think they'll just keep replacing. I think they'll James Bond these guys, um, or probably and just or like. Batman, Bruce Wayne has been many different men. And I think, I mean, and that's the other thing. If you, if you start talking, you know, not, I think it's unfair to talk about DC in this light because they just turn into a punching bag. But I think if you talk to talk about Marvel, everyone's kind of waiting for Marvel's misstep on, you know, would it be that they, they have to recast and they get it wrong? Would it be that they, you know, uh, well, let's bring on, Iron Apprentice. Would it be, you know, they bring on Young Avengers? Um, sure. That kind of stuff. And that's, I, I was thinking as kind hey. of setting up this question, I was thinking, you know, where's the, you know, if I'm Kevin Feige, what, what thought brings me comfort at night if I'm Kevin Feige at Marvel? And I kind of had a thought, I almost laughed out loud while you were talking. The, the thing that would bring me comfort as Kevin Feige is to announce, as we have, as Marvel has, the uh, slate of movies through 2024, knowing that as far as my employment contract goes, I can retire in 2025. Absolutely. Well, there. that's and that everyone yeah. look back at me and say, I got Downey Jr. in there. I got this thing started. I rolled this thing for 15 years. It was a guy after him that screwed it up. Well, and that's that's fine. I mean, you know, that's 
Oh, that's the thing. It's interesting that we can have these kinds of conversations, and Thank isn't that, that a we first? have these kinds of conversations? It is. What'd you it's say? Say it again. Nuts that we have these kinds of conversations. Well, that's a, exactly. It's a, it's beyond a first world problem. Yeah. To have. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a one percent problem. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> are, are, are the tens of billions that we are likely to make in the next five to ten years enough? <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, but as I say, and that's and again, the only reason why I bring it up is for seventy-five years plus, it's never been a question because it was the the publishing that yeah. started everything, and and you know, going back to Tarzan and Sherlock Holmes for that yeah. matter. Yeah, and so. If they and again, you know, going back to publishing, if they do that, if they say, if Marvel movies, Marvel Studios says, "All right, we're bringing in this guy named," oh, see, and I missed my opportunity to joke because I would have used the the dog's name from uh, Simpsons. Um, Poochie. We're going to bring in Poochie Stark, and he's going to be the new Iron Man. And then, then does does Marvel Publishing have to go? All right. Poochie Stark, we've been down this road before. Can we show you trade paperbacks of this whole road? Can we show you our bottom line when it all crashed and burned? But here we go. Well, you know, they actually do in 2020 have their Iron Man out in Arno Stark, of course. True. And, of course, they've already started doing that in the comics and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. With, you With know. a brother. That- yeah, exactly. And, I, you know, and it's funny because even a couple years ago – that just occurred to me in an interview, and I and I said, you know, where's Arno Stark and all this? And they said, good question. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I, I know what's coming. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, too funny. Yeah. Well, there you go, Matt. I like it. Uh, no, and that's hey, I uh, I, I think uh, I, I appreciate the, the the point of view, and uh, and and honestly, uh, thank you for your your patronage back in the day. It met, and no, really, it, was, it did. Hey, man, it was it was it was. And think about. Think about when you came on. You were like, "I have this thing, this podcast, pod podcast, podcast." Okay, what is a podcast? You guys, knew, well, no, seriously, you guys came to me, which was incredibly flattering. And if I could indulge myself, what 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 did you guys see in Word Balloon when you when you said, "Hey, come on, boy"? We wanted to expand. We were trying to get you know as much different form as media as we can. And honestly, of course, Mike, you know, as we said, this is where this is where things are going to go. This is the way to take it without you know without having to be connected to the internet just get it on something and of course when you started the options of what you could get it on were fairly limited um Mm -hmm. but you know this is how you know we could continue spreading the word and spreading the the message um of newsarama without or of comics the mission kind of um without having the person connected to the internet and so it was we knew we needed to expand and we did some of that um, with um, an event, oh, whatever, space.com when they bought us. I, mm-hmm. I keep forgetting the name of the parent company. And we did some of that with uh, video, but, you know, I think by then, at that point, the video just wasn't quite ready and wasn't ready for what we did. But, you know, we'd wanted to expand even more and do more podcasts. And by now, of course, I think we would. I think that's, you know, a testament to the quality of what you do is that you're still going on here now, as you said, 10 years later. I appreciate it, Matt. No, thank you. I uh, well, like I said, I the reason why I, I went to Newsarama um, was I just and it, again I really like Jonah and I respect what he does. I felt Jonah was capable of doing it himself, frankly, because he had already done a few MP3 audio interviews. They weren't podcasts; it was pre-podcast, right? Um, and also was playing with video. 
and I just felt like it was something I could do and and do with you guys. And I always like to say I, would, I didn't work for Newsroom; I worked with Newsroom. Yeah. Which I and I and I and I appreciated that because you always made a point. And in fact, my favorite thing that you ever did for me was it was at a New York Comic Convention, and uh, the stack guys were interviewing in the booth, and Vanita and I were running around grabbing people on the floor. And um, you called me up and said, we need you and the camera upstairs. You're either going to be talking to um, – it was either Grant Morrison or – oh, God, Orson Scott Card. Yep. And uh, whoever came first, uh, the stack guys were going to get, and you were going to get the second guy. And it ended up I got Grant. And it's the only time I've been able to talk to Grant. But we had a nice, quick five-minute conversation. It went well. And what I really appreciated was you went to our supervisor and said, or, or the space.com guy, and said, that's why I like John. He can come up here on a moment's notice, give you exactly what you're looking for. Hit it out of the park. Right, huh? Hit it out of the park. Yeah, and you did. You made the baseball analogy, which was awesome. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's so nice. I'm like, thank you, man. And, I, and I, seriously, you know this. It meant a lot to me, and I appreciated that. And it's like, these guys get me. Thank God. <laughs> You know, and unfortunately, things changed after that. And, yeah, and, and well. you know, and taking. <laughs> and by the way, I don't mean Mike Dorn when I say these things. Mike always understood where I was coming from as well. Uh, we've made it clear that there was a conflict between the people that ran space.com and, and there's really just different, different philosophies. Think, that's all. I think people are going to come away from this podcast understanding that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's okay. That's all right. Look at that. I'm not sure no, how I, Matt and John feel about uh, <laughs> Ollie Queen, but I know that uh, both of them were down with space.com. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh well, these things happen. That's okay. But no, I, hey, I, I appreciate the candor. Uh, I, I think it made for an interesting conversation. I hope and, so. I hope we did. And I, and I, absolutely, and I truly uh, think Big Con Job is going to be a lot of fun for Boom. And uh, you know, God, like like we've said before, Philip and and uh, and Ross and and a lot of the Boom guys and stuff. I just, you know, they're they're fun guys, and they, I think as their whole push comics forward campaign. Uh, initiative started this month and everything. Um, this is the kind of interesting entertainment that Boom goes for that makes sets them apart from the yeah. other publishers. Yep. And I think and I think this is going to be a lot of fun. And it's in uh, very talented hands in uh, Jimmy and Dominic and yourself. Why? Thanks. Thanks a lot. There you go, Matt Brady. And Julie Haddon, our uh, guest today on Word Balloon. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, not, you know, Matt, Matt's, a, Matt's a creator, but really it was more about the market and it was fun uh, talking to these uh, professionals and their opinions on what's going on in the geek world and how it impacts their businesses. And uh, it's that kind of conversation that I look for on Word Balloon as much as I do talking with our favorite creators and hearing about uh, our favorite characters. So I hope you enjoyed uh, today's conversations. It was brought to you by In Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where, as always, you can save a lot of money on InStockTrades.com purchases, sometimes as much as 70, even 90 percent off of certain uh, publications. You can get 90 percent right now on Alterna Comics while supplies last, 70 percent off on select IDW titles. Uh, also, 70% off select image titles and a whole lot more, including these specific deals. Garth, Warren Ellis uh, has his uh, volume of trees available. The first volume is 50% off. It's just $7.49. You can reach back for an artist edition of Frank Thorne's Red Sonia. Volume 2 is 20% off. It's just $120 at in-stock trades. You can get uh, Roy Thomas presenting Dick Briefer's Frankenstein, hardcover volume 3, 25% off. 
$35.99. From Marvel Masterworks, you can get Submariner Volume 6, 50% off, $37.50. From J. Michael Straczynski, C.P. Smith, and Ben Temple Smith, you can get ten grand. Uh, that uh, trade paperback Volume 2 is uh, 42% off, just $8.69. And I mentioned it earlier, uh, this great collection from Wally Wood, Torrid Romances, great Silver Age romance comics from the great Wally Wood, 25% off in soft cover. It's just uh, $18.71. You can get the hardcover edition for $29.99. Or if you're into shelf porn, as we like to call it, a great slipcase edition is 25% off, just $52.46. Where? It's all at InStockTrades.com. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. They do a great job of giving you the books you want at prices you won't believe. Check it out for yourself, InStockTrades.com. John Suntra saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. I, I, like I said, I thought this was kind of a, a neat, slightly left-of-center uh, version of Word Balloon in terms of the conversation and where it went. But uh, I know if you're a fan of uh, this portion of the comic market, I think uh, you found out some interesting information and maybe have a little more perspective on how things work behind the scenes. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's talk. We come back with more interviews uh, in the month of February and beyond. Uh, again, Word Balloon is celebrating its 10th anniversary coming up May 10th. 2015. Hard to believe that it's been 10 years, but it is. And we're also closing in on 5 million downloads for Warp Balloon since I started. It's, it's crazy. And I thank you for your support. And as always, the best way you can help Word Balloon is if you've got a friend that isn't aware of the podcast and you think would like the kind of conversation that I conduct here weekly, do me a favor, let that friend know. Have them come to wordballoon.com and not just listen to this week's episode, but take advantage of our full archive of over uh, 500, almost 600 uh, conversations about uh, the comics community with the creators and movers and shakers of the geek business world. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks a lot for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.